we got Charles Cifarellian today, corrections officer, the man who went to all lengths to find the dog Star, who was shot in the face, then maced, then went into waste recycling, found Star, and turned the Star into just a wonderful thing for kids and people with Alzheimer's and many other things. Thank you for coming in, Charlie. Thank you, Tommy. Glad to be here. I'm glad we're talking about my favorite topic, Star. Yeah, beautiful thing. Crazy story. Crazy story. Now, you grew up in New York, right? How was it growing up? You know, I had a little bit of a rough start. I uh, started off in East Harlem. Um, I was born in an East Harlem clinic. Uh, uh, my parents didn't have any money when I was born and uh, started out there and went up in Astoria, Queens. But things got better uh, geographically because we moved to Long Island somewhere before I became a teenager. And do you have any brothers or sisters? I've got one brother. One brother. Yeah, younger. Well, is he in New York? No, he's out here. He's a Floridian. Is he in Florida? He's a Floridian. What's he doing in Florida? He does music uh, for all the restaurants, the big name restaurants. Uh, he supplies the music uh, installation, and uh, that's what he does. Dom, turn him up a little bit. Okay, so how was your upbringing with your mom and your dad? Tommy, it wasn't good after uh, probably about six or seven years old. Uh, I had a father who was a rageaholic, and uh, they gave me a few good years in there, you know, growing up in uh, Astoria. Uh, my father had a cool 64 convertible. Uh, we actually made it out to Woodstock, didn't get in. Uh, my parents were pretty jovial, and they were okay. And then, of course, uh, things changed once we moved out, of the, moved out of the city and moved into Long Island. Now, your father in 56, he was arrested, right? He was arrested. Uh, with uh, infamous Joseph Imbriglia, better known for the French Connection and synthetic heroin ring back in 1980, the FBI was looking for him. And now how did that affect you growing up? Well, it affected me that my father had done a bunch of time before I was born. And, you know, he had become more of a street guy than a, a loving bedside manner guy. So it didn't take long after I was out of diapers to see another side of him. Now, you had a, uh, a dog when you were 20, right, in your 20s? I had and a dog. And it was a pit bull, and yes. you were living out of a van. I was living out of a van. Now, why were you living out of a van? Tommy, I just went down a wrong neighborhood. I mean, it started out with, you know, I wanted to have a career in, in the NYPD. I took the test. I did everything I was supposed to. But I didn't follow through. I didn't have the support at home from my father, who was really uh, didn't want me to become a police officer. So then you just move out? What happened was uh, I did everything that was not going towards that goal. I started bouncing at a big nightclub in Long Island called Malibu. I started lifting weights. I wound up getting injured. I wound up getting hooked on some pain pills. I'm drinking. It's a mess. And instead of having direction, I was a free-for-all. Oh, okay. So you, you had no moral direction, support, no. whatever. So you were no. just, it was just like all over the place type yeah. of thing. It felt good, smelled good, it tasted good. I just went for it. <laughs> now, the dog that you had, the pit bull, yes. it, it got hit by a car, right? Two cars, Tommy. Two cars. Two cars, Tommy. Um, you know, when we're on a descent, we normally take out all those around us that are innocent too. I mean, look, um, I had this dog that I wound up getting from East New York. The dog came from a bad environment had a soda delivery route, and I bought the dog for $70 on this route, and it became my companion. Well, when I hit bottom, and I wasn't delivering soda no more, and I was holed up in my apartment on Atlantic Avenue in Freeport, uh, we had hit bottom with no food, and eventually my father, who's a rageaholic, showed up banging on the door. He banging on the door, I opened the door, 
I wanted to get away from him. And I ran across four lanes of, of traffic, and my dog got hit by two cars. The first car knocked the dog down. I thought the dog was gone when I turned around. He got back up and got hit by a second car. Um, so that starts this scenario. But luckily, the dog lived. And my father, two guys that couldn't get along, at that moment we got along, and he pulled his car in the middle of the uh, four-lane highway. We picked the dog up, put it in the back of his car, and we headed to the emergency vet. But the dog was taken from me because my parents said, you can't take care of yourself. You're going to allow nobody uh, to do well next to you, so we're going to take the dog, and I lost the dog. Because at this time, you had a little bit of a problem, right? Oh, big problem. Bad? Yes. And what was your drug of choice? Uh, my drug of choice was everything, but more selectively is I was in pain, so it started with pain pills, then I went to dope, and... You know, the alcohol kind of got faded out because I felt as though it kind of made me, you know, sloppy. I, I, I just wanted to feed this monster inside me that was inextinguishable. Yeah, I, I have a friend of mine. He just got back surgery. Yes. And they put him on pills. And I'm, he works for me, so I'm I'm paranoid myself that, you know, he's going to get He's not into drugs or anything like that. I mean, he's, he's as straight as an arrow, but... You know, when you get back surgery like that, you're in pain. They give you the Roxy's, the Oxy's, the perks. So I'm really on him to make sure he doesn't, you know, fall down that path of the addiction because of the pain. You know what I mean? That's kind of sounds like how it started with you. And it's an invisible line. And for those that are not have an addictive personality, maybe that line is further distinguishable. But for myself, who from the first time I had a hostess cupcake at seven or eight, I wanted 10 of them. So there's never been one of anything with me. So I got a one-track mind, uh, and I crossed that line. And then my body uh, became needed. It needed to, to be medicated. So it was a bad, bad spot. So you're an extremist, whether it's drugs, work, whatever it may be, like, like Star. Like you know, Star. you went through hell to find Star. And know? then back. And then hell and back to find yeah. Star. Yeah. So whenever you do something, whether it's... You know, drugs, alcohol, business, whatever it may be, you go all the way. All the way, Tommy. There is no uh, off. I, I want all of it or none of it. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you think that uh, part of the reason why you got so hooked onto the drugs was because of your upbringing? Tommy, I did not have a gentle upbringing, and I'm not making my story any different than anybody else's. But I had a father that was an angry guy. And he was wiry, and he was was crazy. And some examples of him being crazy was, you know, he started getting into some rage one time, and my mother literally in a parking lot jumped out of the car. And it was like a cartoon because she didn't fall down. She kind of caught up to the run, and she stood up, and he says, oh, you stood up, huh? And he spun the car around and clipped her with the car. He didn't mow her down, but he knocked her down. She jumped out of the car while I was moving? Yeah, she did. Wow. And we'll get into it later. I wound up doing the same thing. But it must, Did be, it must be in the DNA. We have enough. <laughs> you guys we, just like to jump out we, of cars. <laughs> when, when we have enough, we just got to leave. So that was one instance. And then another instance was, you know, I wasn't using the pool in the backyard that he put up. And uh, it annoyed him. And he harpooned it with an old-fashioned edger. He went in the corner of the pool and the lion just kept on hitting it from like a, like he was going after a whale. And the 15,000 gallons of water just blew out, blew out the basement window. All the water went down. It was just crazy. So I had a guy, a father that was real volatile, and I was always nervous being around him. And you just don't get away from that and feel good right away. So that was part of my upbringing. 
Were you nervous because like you never knew what you were getting? Never knew what I was getting. And then Tommy, it helped later on with my food addiction because there was only a little bit of time you had at the dinner table. My father was not an eater. He really could care less about food. He was a lean guy, and my mother wasn't a great cook. And if there was some water in the spaghetti, he'd throw the plate in the uh, sink. Nah. And if I was still eating it, that would signal to him that I'm making him look stupid. He'd fling the table. So I learned to eat like in 90 seconds. <laughs> I was in the military. Yeah. yeah. Well, you make it makes me feel like I don't have a temper at all. <laughs> well, well, let's not use him as a, as, yeah. as a baseline. A, as, no. a, as a yeah. gauge? No, no, let's not use that, no. So now, what happened that you stopped the drugs? What, what clicked that you were like, okay, this is enough. Enough is enough. Well, it's simple. Let's get to the meat and potatoes, the darkness of this story. Because the good thing about this story is there's darkness, but then there's a lot of light. Tommy, when you mess up and you have a father that's a dangerous guy and he's involved with people that are dangerous, you don't get caught in Nassau County in the suburbs looking for drugs. You just don't. I was fearful that he'd know that I crossed the line. So I had a soda delivery route in East New York. He had a concrete plant that was bordering East New York. And I went into this neighborhood because I knew where stuff was. And if I wanted dope, to sniff dope, um... That's where I was going. And I survived this. I mean, they made documentaries about this neighborhood, the 7-5. And is that how you met Mike? That's how I met Mike Dowd. But not at the time. Not at the time. How that would happen is Mike was infamous at the time. And he was legend on the street, not for, you know, being a hero cop, but for being an infamous cop. So as life would have it, and I would hear of him. And we would both go two separate directions. He would go to a prison, and I would go to a prison, but different prisons and different sets of situations. He wouldn't have the keys. I would have the keys. Um, and then uh, going— Funny how it works out like that, hey? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, and that's the, way, that's the way it worked out. I was out. the cop on the outside. He was the bad guy on the outside, technically, yeah. right? Yeah, that's how it worked. So what happened was— um, I, I got I got really really in a bad bad place, and you know, guy, and I'm not taking anything away from anybody else. But if you can survive East New York in the '80s and early '90s as a citizen and come out of that, from a kid from the suburbs, I mean, I don't know how it happened, but it did. So it's like uh, a badge of honor. It's a ba- you know what it is. A, you know what you you kind of go you kind of go. I kind of chuckle. Because I, I would be, later on in life, I'd be working in corrections, and I hear guys tell me they had a tough neighborhood. You know, listen, neighborhoods are all tough now. I mean, sure. I mean, guns are all over. I mean, I don't want to minimize a bad neighborhood, but the thing was, I had survived a neighborhood that spit people out, and, and, they, and they were gone. And, Tommy, I'm an actor by life because I wasn't given technical skills where I could do something wrong to get drugs like fraud, or I could do stuff like shoplift, I had to become likable and understandable and be able to connect with people. And that's what I did, man. Could you read? Could you write? Were you talented? I, I was talented verbally, uh, talented I could read and remember stuff. But as far as writing, I couldn't write. I couldn't write. Uh, that's another thing, good old star. I mean, this dog is famous. And people write to me. And I couldn't write, Tommy. Are you dyslexic? 
No, I'm not. But I, I, I just didn't take any English, I guess. So I, 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 I would write a sentence, and I just didn't look right to me because I read a lot. If it makes you feel better, I can't pronounce things to save my life. So, I mean, if that makes you feel any better, my grammar's about as worse as it could possibly be. I mean, I'm working on it, but... Yeah. So, I mean... It's a process. Yeah. But So, you say how dangerous it was for you as a cop in the neighborhood, by the way, Mike Dowd here, as a, as a, as a sidekick to, to Tommy's show, okay? <laughs> as I seem to have become lately. <laughs> as a cop, dangerous is we see bodies, we climb over bodies, we go to the next body. But I don't know what it's like to be a civilian and be in the same... Because it's totally different. As a cop, you're in control, you're in charge, you show up at a dangerous scene. Charlie, you are the scene. Yes. <laughs> you are the scene that cops roll up to. Yes. But how do you identify now you were in corrections, you look back, the scenes that I... The scenes that I roll up to, they were created by people like you mm -hmm. in some manner. So what were some of the things that... you? Like how loaded, or how dangerous, or how how did it get for you? What were you doing? Were you robbing people at gunpoint? Were you jumping over bodies? Were you involved with beatings? I mean, we have a friend named Gordo and Eddie that, that are, we both worked for Gordo and Eddie at some point. Yeah, it's uh, you're describing the area. You are right. You do become part of the scene. Um, guys from Long Island are routinely uh, beaten or killed, I guess, using drugs and found overdosed. I just um, at the time, man, I was a, about a 230-pound guy, and I was, uh, I was, I was, a, I was a tough son of a bitch. I'm not going to minimize that one bit, man. I had so much rage in me. My hands were like, I put my hands through a lot of stuff, and um, you know, I got challenged in the neighborhood. But uh, quickly, these guys that normally don't deal with guys like me said to themselves, you know what, this is this guy's not a typical guy. They were robbing a block one time, the whole block. They had pillowcases. And they had everybody on the block down. And the guy who was leading this charge was a man named Anthony T. Santiago. Been shot five times with an off-duty correctional officer. He had a colostomy bag. His family had bodegas in the, in the East New York. I'm sure. And, and uh, he was a mean guy. He looked like Tuco, but much bigger. And... Um, for Tuco, who, who I don't From know. the good, bad, and the ugly. Okay. From the good, bad, and the ugly. Oh, okay. Because I'm not a movie guy. But so... Maybe one day. So... <laughs> Tommy, I mean, I went to get down because I didn't want to get shot, but I was slow about it. <laughs> right. You didn't want to get your knees dirty. You fucking. So yeah. So I, I didn't want. I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want down. But but uh, Santiago comes up to me. He says, "Get up." He says, "What's your name?" I said, "Well, I got a street name. I go by Chase." He says, "Where are you from, man?" I said, "Well, I'm a city guy, but I live in Long Island now." He says, your old man part of this neighborhood? I said, well, yeah, he is. he got a block company. He goes, we know he is. He says, You're not, you, we're not taking nothing from you. And I became friendly with this guy. And he was like the mayor of East New York. And, and it was amazing how this guy. So he would tell me when we were together, Charlie, there's no difference with me and you. We're just trying to find our way with no directions. And this guy had an addiction just like I did. And he was the black sheep of the family. And his family stayed in East New York because they were from East New York. The main thing about East New York is there's a lot of good people there. There's a lot of great citizens that are from East New York and they're not going to throw a towel in. But here's what addiction does to you, Tommy. At some point, he put a gun in my ribs 
And I remember that day. He says, I'm sorry, I gotta do this to you. Empty your pockets. This is the guy this is the guy that lets you get away already once. Yeah. Now he robbed Became him. your friend. Yes. And then he robbed you. And then he put a gun in him. And Tommy, I said to myself, I'm gonna live to fight another day. There was nothing I could do. He was smart enough not to give me any room. He didn't put it two feet away. It was in my ribs, pointed up through my lungs to my heart. He knew what he was doing. So he did this to me. Oh, he had to point it up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you were a dead man. If I moved, I would have been a dead man. Yeah. So this guy with the smelly colostomy bag, because he didn't change it anymore. You know, he's at the yeah. addiction. And this, Whoa, was, this, was the, this was the darkness. This was the darkness that this addiction got me in. So he, he got me. He got me. But I would visit his home. And his wife, a girlfriend, would open the door. And I'd go to the bedroom and take all the stuff that was his and put it in my vehicle. <laughs> well, at least you got him back. There was no way I was going to live with that scenario. So um, he, it was to the point with these guys that my ability to go in that neighborhood was getting less and less and less. Now, there's different, you know, as Mike Dow talks about it, there's different, you've, in the 7-5 documentary, you got not just one guy in there. You got multiple guys uh, plying their trade. So I don't know who Anthony T. Santiago was involved with, but the bottom line was he was one rough customer, and he, was, and he, and, and he had, as the addiction went, he had this smelly colostomy bag. And uh, that, that started to show me that this was not working. But it, I wasn't done yet. And at that point in the 80s, like Mike, when you were in, that's when crack was uh, discovered. Yeah. And, and yeah. During well, that time by, period. By the time, so you were... by the time he's having his problem, crack's already taken, ravaged the neighborhood. Oh, it's, it's yeah. already everywhere. Okay, yeah. okay. So you, you get that. So then, but what was it that clicked that made you stop everything and change your life? I, yeah. It's, it's, it, it, okay, here's the thing for, for addicts. The drug stops working. Eventually, you can't take enough to get out of the pain. And eventually, you either die from an overdose or you, the, the end's always the same for every addict. Jails, institutions, or death. So we have that going on. The neighborhood, part of the neighborhood would like to kill me probably. Um, then we also have them getting picked up by the NYPD for nuisance BS with, you know, small amounts of drugs, loitering, residue, loitering, loitering yeah. um, nonsense. And then, of course, the Technical Narcotics Task Force starts in about 1989. They're in the neighborhood now, and it's becoming impossible to go to the neighborhood that I used to sow my oats in. Okay, now that doesn't sound like fun for many people, but I was addicted to thrill. When you're in East New York, you know you could die any moment in the 80s. I mean, listen, it's not if you're going to die. It's the wrong circumstances. And that kind of thrilled me, man. I liked living on the edge like that. And, you know, when you're 5'11", and you're 230 pounds, you look like a cop. And, you know, I did everything to enhance that. I mean, I go to the uh, auction, I'd have the Grand Fury you know, with the spotlight turned down. you got to get me into some of these police auctions. <laughs> Neither of you. Yeah, One so, of you. I'm not allowed. So it was, it was, it was that <laughs> time. I'm allowed. I'm allowed. <laughs> so it was that, Tommy. But here's, here's the good news. Here's the good news. There's going to be a miracle that's going to happen in the middle of this cesspool. And here's the main thing. I was the problem. There was no problem with East New York. 
they went about their business every day. I had the problem. I went to their neighborhood, okay? Um, so finally, I do get arrested by the 7-5, uh, the Technical Narcotics Task Force. I decide that I'm going to still buy drugs, and I cop some dope on the street, Picking Avenue, and I start sniffing it, and I see that the cops are coming. So I decide to roll my window up, put it in drive, and continue sniffing until I'm done. Well, they're pursuing me. And I start with these back roads, you know, well, not back roads, but, you know, just city streets. And I get onto Linden Boulevard, heading towards where Brookdale Hospital is. Uh, remember, remember from the 75 movie, Pick into Pen, uh, Pick into Pen, Pen to Linden, Linden to Brookdale. Yeah. Remember I gave that? This, yeah. yeah, that's 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 the same route you were on. <laughs> so now now I'm, now I'm on, I'm, I'm on Linden Boulevard. No regard. I get 100 miles an hour. Just blowing as much as you can. Just blowing as much as I can. And getting chased. And getting chased. And it was kind of like the uh, Forrest Gump, okay? When he got done <laughs> running, he just stopped. Yeah, yeah. I, I these The cops, I just stopped. And because they were in such pursuit of me, it, you know, it was like kind of crooked and stuff as far as the uh, what happened. So I had more guns. You didn't bail me. out and run? No, I didn't. Okay. I was too lazy for that. So <laughs> they had me. Feeling high as a kite. Yeah, feeling good. Numb. Numb. Yeah. Numb. And it's just brief. But, um. At that point, I'm going to get some help. And I'm going to get help by about 14 NYPD officers, mostly undercover, with some big guns pointed at me. Through the windshield, through the side, through the back. And they take me out of the car. And there's one sergeant that takes control of the whole situation. And he looks at me. And he goes, you're not from here. I said, no, I'm from Long Island. And he got pissed, man. He goes, what are you doing? What are you going to kill? He was pissed. He goes, you got any family on the job? I don't know why he asked me that. I mean, maybe people knew. And I had a, a cousin that had gone far up in the 80s. I think she was at least a lieutenant heading to a captain. And I wouldn't give up her name. I wouldn't give up her name. And so this sergeant had a personal bone to pick with me. He just had a hard time accepting that I was doing this. And he, well, let me, let, let, me, let me say something. Yeah. No, go ahead. He's right. And this is the reason I say that is because as a cop in Brooklyn, if we saw Long Island kids doing what he was doing, we would be pissed. So the reason why he said, why are you here in Long Island? Why are you here? Yeah. You be, have be, no because where you're at is a, a drug area yeah. and where you're from is clean. You have no excuse I have no to excuse. be exposed to this. You have yeah. no excuse being in this life. You should be in a different life. You're not here. Don't. You shouldn't be. This shouldn't be your life. Your life should be why you live on Long Island is why you're not here, and that's why you shouldn't. Be so, in a sense, he was trying to help you out, saying like, "Why are you here, Tommy?" He was. He doesn't really... want it to be his own kid. So, Tommy, he said to me, um, "You got no drugs now. It's convenient. No drugs." He goes, "That's not going to help you." He goes, "You know why? Because you'll do this again. You're going to get arrested today. We're going to find whatever you threw out that window." And they made me wait. And they found residue on some glassine envelopes, and they arrested me. Which could have been on any corner. In any <laughs> it could have been from anybody, really, time. right? It could have been from anybody, but they brought me to the 7-5 precinct, and this was a different situation. They had taken over the precinct, it felt like. I was, like, looking for the regular guys, like the regular cops that I grew up with. That kind right. of Where are the regular cops? I mean, these guys were not regular. So I get put in the back cells. There's a row of black cells. I remember it was silver, silver cells. And they had somebody to the cell next to me in the next cell. They moved everybody, so I was by myself. Then the sergeant came. 
And he said to me, you think you're a tough guy, right? He said, I'm going to tell you right now. you got an attitude. I don't like it. He says, you could leave here two ways. You could leave here in cuffs, going to central booking, or you could leave in a body bag. That bad, huh? He was, he was that pissed. Now, to portray how all this bad turned to good, so we're portraying the negative right yes. now. So now, Mike, you were in the 7-5. Right. So when he says he went to the 7-5 precinct, you yeah. know, when they arrested him, yeah. can you paint the picture of what that – that's like well, I, when he I, walks in. Well, I, well, first of all, to your left is the big desk where the, where the boss and, and, and all the uh, hierarchy sits and, and commands the precinct. To his right, where you would initially come in to get processed, is, the, uh, is a large day area where about 150 cops could be, soda machines, candy machines, you know, just to, just to get you through a, a, the day. And at any minute, if he's got 15 or 20 narcotics guys around him, there's also... Regular police business going on right at the desk. Other arrests coming in, guns, uh, drug arrests. But his his whole scenario is they've got. I assume they have a not just you. Or the, I don't know if they had just you arrested. There were, the, few more. Few the more. Narcotics had brought in a few. Usually yeah. bring in a, a half a van full of guys, six, eight, ten people at a time. But no. But stiffed it. Now, now they did a chase with him. So that's. Sometimes they'll even have uh, perpetrators in the vehicle while they're doing a chase. So I don't know. I wasn't at that scene. What I mean is the violence. It's a very violent in there. In the precinct? Yeah, like where they where they so took I'm, Charlie. So I'm getting there. Okay. So so and then off to the side is a, is, a, is a separate entranceway into the cell block. And the cell block has got a tier on this side and a tier around it. So you have probably 20 cells in there. In fact, I was going to ask Charlie if someone offered to buy him any cigarettes and and make money on you at that in the cells because that's what what it may have been me. Because I usually charge a vig if you wanted some right, cigarettes right. or candy or <laughs> no, well, well, for guy, no because it was two fifty for a pack I charged you five I would expect nothing less Mike but listen, listen you were getting what you wanted yeah. and you would you would have paid a hundred for those cigarettes yeah. at that point so let's not get each other so I'm I'm just checking if that did anyone tip you that way no okay. no it, they they had a definitely it was a serious okay. attitude yeah with... <laughs> so then there's, there's a holding cell and then each individual cell so you try to put one guy but sometimes there's two in each cell, depending upon the volume of people there. You know, and, and he would have been at one of those what they call like uh, the sink, and the sink and the toilet are all connected in one, which many people have seen on movies. It's a silver sink, and there's a flat bunk bed there with, with nothing on it. There's, no, there's nothing, it's just steel. So it, it, it's, it's just a rough steel. Spot. It, was, it, was, steel. It, was, it was a rough spot. And usually dirty, but and not that... stinky dirty, but dirty. But Tommy, I, I believe that, here's what I believe. I don't think the cop would have crossed the line and done, killed me like he said he would but he let me know that if I get stupid that the use of force they would use I've seen a lot of people beat down in that area it was clear it was clear where this was going in fact I rescued a guy's life from from in that room and he he also might have been so bad and also if it's not the cop doing that it will be somebody else in the neighborhood doing that to you correct so he was maybe giving you two messages at the same time he was and and I respect the guy to to the moon now because he knew what he was dealing with me. He he knew if he was any less of a cop that day and he bent the rules for me, I would have never had the rest of my life that's going to come about. But the bottom line was, you know, I got my last, you know, Tommy, I'm a survivor, man. I, I need to really, I'm a survivor. I mean, that's the way I live my whole life in my household and the streets and then down the road in, in corrections. I said to him at that point, I said, look, I do have family on the job. And uh, 
there's a, there's a record. Look, you don't want to get your ass beat. Yeah, you don't want to get your ass beat. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have family on his yard. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the cover. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did say I did get in, there, and that frustrated him more because it just wasn't. We because at some point it was just man to man, and then I said that. Well, it made you look cocky, is what. It yes, did. and yeah. then and then ultimately what happened was I don't know how it happened, and and Mike might talk about it. Somehow they they got me out of he left. They got me out of the cell. They put me in a van. And they brought me to the 9-0 precinct in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And now things are going to get a little ugly because when you went to the 9-0, they had these cells loaded up with a lot of people that were kicking drugs. And now I'm in a cell and the drugs are kicking and I'm feeling bad. And I'm amongst guys that really, really smell. Now, here's something that a little footnote. So, you, so real quick. So you're in a cell or you're with multiple guys yeah. that are all withdrawing like crazy oh, basically yeah. is what you're saying yeah yeah oh. Oh. listen that doesn't sound too it doesn't, it's not appealing but I, I wound up at the 90th precinct then yeah and then that, at least one thing the doors closed with the sergeant wanting to get me it, we closed that out and I'm moving towards a better life I mean it's it, it's not starting off better right there but I'm moving towards a better life okay now where and when did you end up in solitary confinement? Was it this this time? Because you ended up there, or no, that was when you started working at the correctional office, yes, right? Yes. So now, and the way you get to there is you meet a girl yeah. at a monastery. Is that how you said? No, he, I told he, you my grammar. Style. Yeah. No. Here's what happens, Tommy. I, I I leave all this. I kick the drugs. Done. So you don't get arrested. Uh, I I do get arrested, but there's no charge. I guess the 72 hours had expired, and there's 72 hours you have to be arraigned by, and it was resident. They just they it went bye bye. So the never cops tried. purposely made him miss his seventy-two hour deadline in order to give him the break. That's where the break comes in. That's where the break comes in. He gets the break. That's where the break so comes his in. Arrest record disappears essentially. He's I arrested, yeah. not charged. Hmm. So now he gets out and goes where? So now, Tommy, I get out, and um, here's the thing about addiction: as bad as it was, I wanted to go back in. I wanted one last get high. So I get. <laughs> so we talked. We talk about. Um, I'm living on Atlantic Avenue. The dog got hit by the car. Everything's bad. I want one more get high. So I get back on the train to go into uh, Jamaica to take the train to East New York. And I'm pl- I got no money in my pocket. I'm playing that routine where you hide from the conductor. You just <laughs> just ha- after your brother shot at you or before? No, that that's that's years earlier. Okay. That's, that, no, the brother didn't shoot me. He pulled we pulled guns on each other outside in Merrick. In Merrick. We pulled guns on each other with my mother in between us because my brother was a non drug guy and he had saw me go down the drain and at some point we just got pretty volatile now. He had had he had, had enough, pulled a gun and said, yeah. Charlie, look. And, and then of course, you know, I pulled a gun. <laughs> Right, so, well, so not to point, be outgunned. Not to be outgunned, and right. we and and we're living in, in Long Island, in a nice neighborhood, and my mother's in between both of us. The senators on one side, and the uh, police yeah. commissioners on the other we, side. Well, we had, we got we got some notable people. So, right. so you mean, have your mom on this side. In or, I, I'm sorry, you're on this side. Your brother's here, and then your mom's in, in between, the middle, with in between. two guns pointed. Yeah, and 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 you know, well, here's the crazy part: as crazy as drugs make you, he was that crazy without the drugs, and. Right? We, we wow. had some problems, man. So I was part of the addiction. Listen, it was a five-year run. It was a lot of pain. It was a lot of ugliness. But ultimately, Tommy, I, I, I wind up at this monastery. You end up and, on the train tracks. What happened at the train tracks? Well, here's what's, here's what's great about this. I, I, I took the test with a bunch of nice guys that went on to become cops and do the right job, the what job I should have been doing. This one guy is a sergeant with the NYPD. 
He sees me in my pajamas. Tommy, when you're on drugs, you're whacked out. I'm in my pajamas. I'm <laughs> yeah. in these, 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 these flip flops that are about a dollar from the general <laughs> store, from the hospital. You know, we, 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 I'm living a, a mania. So I try to keep it together because I know this guy from school. Did he have the I'm hospital? Trying to keep it together. I'm trying to keep it together. Did he have, yeah. that, did he Your have pajamas those? on? Hold on. He's got his pajamas on. Listen to this picture. He's on the elevated train station in Jamaica, Queens? Yeah. Okay. He's in Jamaica, Queens. He lives in Merrick. He's in his pajamas. He's wearing slippers that he didn't buy at the general store that he probably got released from someplace. Some hospital. Yeah, yeah. Some hospital slippers. <laughs> did he get the socks, though? You know, there's... The yeah, rubber socks? socks? Did you get the rubber socks? <laughs> but, you know, so that's the, same, that's the scene. And this cop, who's a straight-laced guy to this day, never touched a drug. He looks, he's 6'4", six, 6'3". Six, he's looking down at me. He's looking at me, and I'm trying to tell him it's okay. No, he's just not some cop. Yeah, not, no, no. He, you worked out with him. He's not some cop. I grew up with the guy. I worked out with the guy. We know each other from being clean-cut kids back in America, lifting weights together, talking about futures. We both went and took our, I guess it was 1175 exam. We had really beautiful outlooks of what we wanted to do. I grew up, I was in love with Beretta's show because Beretta got the bad guys and he was just rogue enough that he interested me. And I loved that. And sort I, of like me, a little rogue. <laughs> and then, of course, Serpico. And then, you know, it's like the characters in certain movies I just gr gravitate towards. In American Gangster, it's that one good cop from New Jersey, man, that doesn't care how much money's in front of him. He is going to do the right thing. I wanted to be that guy. So this guy... I'm sorry, and and that's what that test was, the 11.75 for people that don't know. Yeah, it was 11.75, and I started the hiring process with this guy. And that's the test to become a police officer? In New York City. Okay. So this guy goes on to become a New York City police officer. His brother becomes a 9-11. Uh, he lost his life due to 9-11 complications, and this guy himself was on the pile for three months. So the fact that this guy had the ability to connect with me to any level he had the patience, but I bullshitted him. I wasn't ready to stop. So he leaves. He leaves. Now I'm set to change my life forever. And anybody that's listening to this, if you're addicted, this is the roadmap out of addiction. I see this guy. He's looking at me at the train station. He's a peaceful-looking guy. I'll later learn that his name is Michael. And he's looking at me. He walks over to me. He knew I was hurting. And in about two minutes, he tells me his life story of addiction. That he was living in the Bronx in a refrigerator box. That the drugs take him to that level. In a refrigerator box? In an empty refrigerator Oof. box. Not that bad for some. Yeah. And he says to me, I said, why are you telling me this? He goes, you don't look good. I said, am I going to die? I mean, he goes, you look like you got tombstones in your eyes. I was gray. My skin coloring was gray. I said, look, man, I've been to rehab. I've been out to Greenport. I've been to all these beautiful re uh, rehabs. I've been out to Allentown. I mean, I've been to places to get treatment. It doesn't work. He goes, of course it doesn't work. It's got a 97% failure rate. He goes, the only way you're going to get this is if you surrender your will and get a higher power. If you don't, you're dead. Now, at this point, how long had you been clean, addicted, well, addicted to drugs? Five years. Five years straight. Five years straight. And then this guy comes along, yes. says this, and that was kind of, was that the, the click? Wait, so here it is, Tommy, and it's not a, so he tells me this, and a light bulb comes on. I'm saying, man, I can't get this. 
I said, thank you very much for the information. He goes, no, I'm not done yet. He goes, I was saved in, 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 a, in a monastery in upstate New York in Graymoor. I said, they take guys like me? He goes, they take everything from jailbirds to people looking for spiritual retreats and everything in between. He goes, write it down. I said, I don't need to. I got a memory like an elephant. I said, I got to go. So with that good information in my head, I said, I'll, I'll use that at a later date. I got to go get drugs now. I'm hurting. Thanks for the heads up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the, here's the thing about drugs. I was already off of them from the 9-0 detox to at least a week, living with the dog with no food. I had at least a week, but the mind wanted the drugs. So now the evening's getting later. And I finally, with all these stories, with, with, the, with the sergeant, with the NYPD, with this guy telling me the story, I finally get on the J train, and I'm heading to East New York. And it's midnight. It's dangerous to go there with a running car. <laughs> I'm going to be walking into East New York. I actually don't even get off to stop because I'm going back and forth fighting myself. Do it. Don't do it. Do it. Don't do it. Is this after the chicken? No, the chicken's coming. The chicken's coming. So ultimately, I get off the train in Brownsville, an area past East New York that I don't know anybody. And this neighborhood's got all burnt out buildings. I get off the train, I don't know why I'm walking around aimlessly looking for drugs. And the whole time you're debating. The, oh. I, I, yes, no, yes, yes it's no. like the, uh, what, what are they, the yin and yang in the your head, right? Yeah. The yin and the yang. So, so you get off the train. I get off the train and um, the chanting starts going in my head. And listen, I'm not a guy that believes what I, I... I'm a transactional scorekeeping guy. I'm a guy that when I'm on the streets, you put a package of dope in my hand. I'm a guy that has to visualize everything. I don't believe what I can't see. But this chanting is going on and a pushing feeling. Get to the back of this building. I get back there and there's a 50-gallon drum being used as a source of heat and light. And this guy's shooting up. And this voice tells me to tell him that I want to join them. Tommy, it's telling them in my mind that I'm going to go join these guys. At that point, I'm scared. I got no control of myself. I'm on automatic pilot. There is no putting the brakes on. It's like my feet are walking for themselves. As I'm getting closer to these guys, I break down and start chanting, God help me, God help me, God help me, Jesus Christ, God help me. And I'm getting louder and louder and louder. Now I'm screaming it. They turn around and look at me with fear. They didn't know what was going on. I look like a maniac. Yeah, they probably think some nuts here, right? <laughs> but thank God I only have to do this one time. And anybody that's suffering from addiction, you only have to do this one time. If you want more punishment, that's up to you. But I only have to do this one time. I turn around, and now I'm running. And these flip-flops don't hold up with this. <laughs> <laughs> these flip-flops don't hold up. Not made Let for me this. tell you, they're not made for this. So I run, and I run, and I run. I wind up getting to a, um, a fire department. In East New York, probably. That's how far I ran. I ran for miles, it felt like. Back to your safe zone. Back to my safe <laughs> East zone. East New York. <laughs> the, the door is opening, and there's a firefighter had just washed or cleaned a truck, and I came bursting in, and I spooked this guy. Now, to paint this picture, what are you wearing other than sandals when you walk in? Pajamas. Pajamas and sandals. You yeah. walk in. Well, the sandals are gone. I, I, I blew them off my feet by this point. Okay. I'm barefoot. So now you're barefoot walking in with pajamas on. Yeah. So now I'm barefoot. That's bad. So um, <clears throat> what happens is the fireman was startled, and I said, I had, a, I, had a, I, had a, I had a bad situation. He says, "Is do people need help? Is there something going on? And I said, no, I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me. I was like, what? I said, please, sir, I need water. Can I wash my face? Can I wash my face? And I 
wash my face and the kindness this fireman showed me. I start to cry. I look at myself in the mirror. I can't believe what I did to myself. I know how I got here. How do you get here? Just happened. You get, it's like walking out of an elevator with no floor. How do you get to this part of your life? Yeah. And you're in your early 20s, and you got this life ahead of you, but you got this addiction that owns you, and nobody can stop you from using it. And you can only be the one to admit you got a problem, and you need a higher power, some process to get out of this mindset. And I wash up. He's kind to me. He goes, look, man, I don't know what's going on with you, but the FDNY is hiring. I said, I couldn't be a help to the department. I said, I can't even save my own life, man. He says, you okay? I said, no. I said, but I got to get to the Jamaica train station. I got to get some footing. I need a t-shirt. I got to get together. I got to get this together. I said, I could be saved if I can get to the Jamaica train station because I'm going to call my father. And I'm going to ask the guy that I could never get along with to please take me to this monastery because my life needs to be saved at this point. And I wind up at the Jamaica train station at about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. And I'm there, and I panhandle for two bucks. Because I'm honest now. I am in recovery mode. I'm going to get through this now. So at this point, you're done. I'm done, man. I'm done. I'm, I, I have my ass handed to me on a, on a silver platter. I'm done. So I wait till 6 o'clock in the morning. I call my father. I call a guy that was always business. See, some guys talk. I'm a talker. He got through his life by talking less words. He had a yes or a no. He didn't talk much. I said, Dad, I need help. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm in Jamaica train station. What are you doing there? I said, look, don't worry about that. I said, I'm at the end of my rope. I said, uh, I got to get up to Garrison, New York. There's a monastery, Graymore. He goes, yeah, I know. It's been around for years. It's for guys that are dead end. They're done. I said, great. I want to go there. Can you take me now? He goes, no, it's Friday. I got to get to work. I said, will you take me later? He goes, I'm getting off work later tonight. You sit in front of that train station. I'll pick you up. If it's after 6, don't leave because I'm coming. So now, Tommy, I'm going around and the epiphany hits me that everybody has a purpose in this life but me. Commuters are going to work. They're happy. They got cologne on. And I'm wiped out. So, at that point, I bought a can of soda, I bought a roll, I had about 55 cents left, and by noon I got hungry, which was a good sign for me. So I go to the chicken place that's by the Jamaica train station. The fake Kentucky Fried It's not a Kentucky Fried Chicken, it's a, it's a no-name Kentucky, it's a no-name brand of, of chicken. But they got chicken. They got chicken. So I order their meal, chicken breast, leg, soda. Mashed potatoes. Beautiful. Beautiful. And when was the last time you had a meal like that? Except for the roll that I had? Yeah. Tommy, I didn't eat for... Tommy, I was drinking salad dressing. I got no money. Because all your money went to the drugs, right? Yeah, and, and the house got emptied, and the girlfriend yeah. left, and I was down. I was done. So now, these guys are not as nice as the firemen or the cops. I mean, I was, this, yeah. this is a different crew here. I would assume so. Yeah. So <laughs> they put the meal right on the counter, rang it up, I put the 55 cents down. He said, this ain't a joke. I said, that's all the money I got. He came from around the counter and grabbed me by the collar of my shirt, T-shirt I had at this time. And it was on, Tommy. A light bulb went on. 
And I said, no, this ain't going to happen, pal. I remember what Santiago did to me, and I knew that this was going to be on. I took this guy, and I dragged him behind the counter, and I only had one vision. His head was going in that hot grease. I was going to dunk him. He put his hands on me first. Fried brains. Fried I was, brains. I was going, and I was, let me tell you something, Tommy, I was no weakling. But at the same time, the guy that cooks the meals that wasn't on the counter, he got one of those, you know, back in, in the 80s, things were stronger. He got one of those mops. That mop handle was a little thicker than they are today. Yeah, they're not plastic. Not, they, yeah. they're, they were metal, then, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it was thicker wood, and he was welting me in the back with this thing. So I'm trying Jeez. to get him in the. You didn't dump. feel it, though. I felt it, but I didn't. But, you know, so we got two guys I'm working against. Wow. And then all of a sudden, the cops show up. The NYPD shows up. Again. Again. It must have, it must have been a chicken special. I, I must have been, no, they, no, they didn't come. They they, no, no, they didn't come in for the chicken, Tommy. They didn't come no, in they came the in because you're you're taking yeah. on two guys. Someone and one said them, somebody called something. So now they come in, Tommy. So now they pull me aside. There's a bunch of officers, and they got me. And the sergeant leads the charge here. He says to him, the guy starts complaining. This guy assaulted me. He duffed the services. And the sergeant immediately says, you've been drinking? Yeah. Your testimony's worthless. You, the other guy, come here. What happened over here? Well, he didn't pay. Did he take the food? Did he th threaten you? No, he didn't pay. He made, he, we made the food and he wouldn't pay. That's not theft of services. I could lock you guys up for what you did. But he, he the sergeant grabbed it. They took me outside. Now, this sergeant says to me, now, what's your story? How, well, how does this happen? I said, look, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I said, I got my father coming from Long Island. I'm going to go to a monastery. I, I've been on drugs, but I'm not on drugs now. I had an epiphany. I, I, I got a spiritual awakening. He says, there's a lot here, man. He says, look, I'm going to get you lunch. The cop did? Yeah, he said, you got me lunch. He says, I want to tell you right now. Your father's coming. You're going to sit where he told you to sit. And you're not going to go in here or you're not going to bother nobody. Because you got the right chip on your shoulder that something else will happen. So that's what happened, Tommy. So um, I did what he told me to do. My father eventually came. Two guys that could never get along. Um, my father listened to Frank Sinatra and Pavarotti. I get into his vehicle, into his Cadillac, um, and he's got um, Aaron Neville belting out tunes. And when you're d kicking drugs and you're in a lot of pain, when you listen to Aaron Neville, man, singing from the heart, it's like a sympathy, symphony to the soul. And that guy's music calmed me down. And we rode, and it was a rainy night. And I'm going to this monastery, and I'm scared, Tommy. Because let me tell you, when you don't have any drugs in your system, but you're addicted, you got no courage, okay? When them drugs are gone, you got no courage. And I was starting to, you know, I wasn't dragging anybody as time moved on around any counter. Yeah. So <clears throat> we talk. Yeah, as the seconds go by. Yeah, you, yeah. I'm you, getting you get, you, you get hit with the <laughs> spits on you. You're about to fall over. I'm about to throw. So, so the, the, the trip is uneventful, except we talk about my dog. And he says, look, I don't know what that dog's made of, man, but he's surviving. He's going to live a good life. He said, son, you really want to do this? I said, I got to. So I get up to this monastery and... Uh, they deloused me because back then they, 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 you can't have any lice or anything. And they put me into like a medium security correctional facility. They got the bunk beds and it's not, it's not an arrestable, it's not a, it's not a, a jail, but it's treated like that. Mm -hmm. So I get clean and sober and I'm never going to touch drugs again. I'm never going to have a problem. And here's the part I like about this story. I'm not even going to get a parking ticket going forward. 
Now, how when you get a parking ticket going forward? No, I'm saying I, I don't have any more police interaction. Oh, you don't have any more for the rest of your, for the rest of your life. Yeah, to this point, yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe after the, maybe after the podcast, there might be somebody yeah, comes out with a civil suit. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I remember you. You hit me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this or that, but but up to this point, you know, yeah, yeah up to the podcast, it's been it's been good. So now, you now meet what, a girl, you go to Nebraska, right? So now you get there and you meet a girl, right? And then she helps you get into the correctionals department, right? Right. What happened was, you know, I do the monastery, I go to rehab, I get well, I get a job, and I meet this girl. And she's a, a civilian, a regular girl. I mean, she's a school teacher in the community. But, you know, she's a small girl. I mean, she's got two master's degrees. I mean, she's, you know, able to read that I'm, uh, that there's something wrong. She goes, look, I don't know about your story, but I like you. But I know you got a story. And I said to her at the time in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I really shouldn't be with a girl. And this girl's normal. She takes me back to her apartment, Tommy. And the first thing I do is I open up the refrigerator and make sure there's food in there. <laughs> and this girl don't eat much. She's got a, like a yogurt and a couple of bottles of water and a couple of apples. Mm. So I didn't feel too comfortable with that. Well, you know, it yeah. might, you know, you're hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, we eat. So now I'm dating this girl. And, you know, there's some weird mannerisms I got from the street that she picks up on. She said, why when you take a shower, you keep on peeking out of the curtains? Oh shit! Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we 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 we. Well, do you we wash date. your underwear and hang up? No, I don't do that. I don't do that. So I I don't do that. So <laughs> I, I, I I don't know how relative it is to the story, but addiction makes you a caveman. For me, I didn't get refined. I got a little. I was always paranoid that the door is going to get knocked down. It's going to be the bad guys. You know, it might not be the good guys. Something might happen. So I'm dating her, and it gets pretty serious. You know, after about a week. You're in love. I'm in love. <laughs> you know, here's here's what I would say. Yeah. It would date one. You know, you you you're infatuated. Date three, you call in the U-Haul company. See if you got. <laughs> yeah. So so it's it's moving, progressing. Yeah. So I can it, relate. So after a week, after a week, um, I go to her apartment with her. She, I picked her up after school, and there's a dozen roses waiting for her, and she thinks they're from me, and they're not. And 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 I and I'm quiet about it. I'm going to wring whosoever neck that was that sent these roses. So she realized when I didn't smile, there's a problem. So that was it. Um, Nebraska comes. Nebraska comes because it's the only option at this point. So might have you been. You didn't jump out the car. Yeah, when it's coming right now. So about a week later, we're going down. Mike is dying for you to yeah. tell about the car. He loves this out. story. I, I, I still feel this story. <laughs> I still feel this story. I would think so. So we're on uh, we're on Merrick Road out there in Suffolk County somewhere, and um, I see a look on her face just get white and 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 fearful i go what happened she goes i just saw my ex-boyfriend i said that mother jumper that sent the roses she goes yes i go and open up the blazer door it was one of those blazers there was s10 blazers back then and i start to jump out the door at about 35 she gets one shot at the break one shot tommy and i still jump out Back then, there was no seatbelts. You didn't have to take a seatbelt off. You didn't have to do nothing. You, you, you were so it, it was easy to jump was, out the car. Back then, back, back then, it was easy. Yeah, you, you, you didn't have no... You, you're so, man, you, things change. It's family. It's family. So, so, so what I didn't know is when you jump out of a car, you don't... Because his mother's done it. I mean, it just yeah. runs in the family. It runs in the family. We yeah. talked about that earlier. It's genetic. It's, it's genetic. genetic. It's in the DNA. The you're, jumpers. He's a jumper. He's a jumper. So I jump out of the car. So when I jump out of the car, I knew I made a mistake. Because when I hit that pavement, <laughs> I, I was going around like a rag doll. 
And she was going like 35. 35. She got one shot at the break. So she we, maybe she got it down to 26. I don't know. <laughs> but she got the story later on was got one shot at the brakes. Now he was the problem. As I'm rolling around, I see cars swerving around. So finally, I come to a stop. Almost like the dog on on Merrick, because it's the same freaking yeah. road almost. Yeah. <laughs> but the wind got knocked out of me, Tommy. So I couldn't Ooh. get up. Ooh, wow. Yeah, the wind. You, know, you jump out of a car at 35 yeah, miles an hour. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so when I was scraped, I had road rash all over. I was bleeding. Yeah. So the people that were driving the car stopped, and they would call, call them an ambulance. <laughs> and I got up off the pavement. I said, don't worry about no ambulance. And I went into that um, travel agency that he was ordering uh, tickets with his new girlfriend. And I said to him, you send them flowers? Did you do that? He, 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 he was a tough guy like I was with the sergeant for a minute. I grabbed him, no different than a cop. I think he might have thought I was a cop. I grabbed him and pulled him out of that uh, travel agency, and, and it got pretty it got pretty serious on the street. But he was not a fighter. And one thing about me is that, look, I've been given a lot of breaks. The guy was never going to send another rose again. He was done. Yeah, you, you, you sent your message, and that was enough. Yes, it was done. So from there, from there she said to me, look, I kind of like you, but you're nuts. She goes, look, my family's from Nebraska. I think the best thing for us, if we're going to go forward, is to move to Nebraska. I said, I think you're right. So I took a trip out there, Tommy. And Nebraska is not like people would think it is. It's right in the middle of the country, straight shot between New York and and California, right in the middle with I-80. And it's pretty developed. And I go out there, and I'm like, okay, I can do this. And I wind up um, thinking things are going to be different when I get out there. I'm thinking like farming. I'm thinking taking Series 6, Series 7 test. I'm thinking about a lot of different variables. Oh, you're a stockbroker. I'm a stockbroker. I mean, I hear things. I'm, I'm a wealth of useless information. And I think, you know, I might do this. I might do that. So her father uh, eventually gets hold of me. He says, look, I, I know a little bit about you enough to be concerned. He said, look, you had a stint that you wanted to be a cop. I think you should take the Department of Corrections test out here. And if you're going to make a serious relationship with my daughter, you need to be employed. And so that I took the test. Real man. Yeah, real man. It was good. He Listen, he was a saint as far as a giving person. And he didn't have to say a lot to reel me in. I mean, he didn't have to say a lot. I knew what he meant. Well, you really didn't have a tight relationship with your father. No. And now you have a, a, yeah. a guy who's acting fatherly. And just real quick, how bad does that burn when you jumped out of the car? Because I, I had a bunch of motorcycles, and I fell off of them. And that brush burn from a, when you fall off a motorcycle, whew. Tommy, it's a very painful deal, and I never—I don't think I ever fully recovered from the, the aches and pains. When I get up in the morning, it takes me about an hour to feel okay. Yeah, it hurts. You know, you know the routine. So, so go ahead. Yeah. So right. go and uh, go to the next picture and um, show him as a uh, d- Department of Correction officer. Go to the right. There you go. So now, what year is this? This is uh, probably nineteen ninety-three or ninety-four. Um, you look like a boxer. Tommy, that's the guy that was on the streets in East New York. That there's nothing different from me, and that's the mug. Club I had. Malibu, the Club, Club Malibu. Malibu. That's the guy I was. That's the guy I became. The next picture is the guy I became after I got. Go to the next one, Tom. Now the Department seasoned, of Corrections. Seasoned, yeah, yeah. The Department of Corrections was needed for me. I, I, it was, it was needed for me to get a routine and an avenue to do something that was legitimate and do something that was worthwhile. And now they put you down in solitary to work in solitary confinement. Oh, I get right? there. I get there. <laughs> and how was that? Because we were talking last night about yeah. some of the experiences you had down there. And well, you 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 work solitary confinement. You know, early on, Tommy, I was a little bit of a wild man, and the Department of Corrections knows where to put people. It's just that they kind of have an idea what best suits you. 
Um, and I wound up in some of the worst jobs. I wound up in jobs where, number one, I could have been fired immediately. I was in a visiting room between the inmate and his family, and that's a way to get rid of a guy quick. Because if you, if you do the wrong thing there, you're done. And you're still on probation for six months. I think it's six, yeah, six months when you get the job. So I did that. From there, I wound up working in something that's worse than solitary. They have a, something called a control unit. And this is a concrete bunker for guys that don't do well in segregation in the hole. These are guys that know they already have been sentenced to time in segregation. But now they've even gone further to do something. They might have assaulted a staff member when they were given the meal or something. Now, how bad is this place? I had fellow correctional officers say, when these guys get out of the control unit, they'll be skipping on the yard like they just got paroled. The, see, what the public don't know is a penitentiary. True that. True that. I've been there. You've been there. Oh, yeah. yeah you've been there. Is that the turtle suit when they put you in the turtle suit? That, right. That's when you get forced uh, cell extractions. They come yeah, for you or that. Yeah, they strip yeah. you down naked yeah. in your turtle suit because you're naked, you know, because they don't want you to kill yourself, yeah. right? Oh, okay. That, yeah. that when they strip you down and they give you a suicide. But I'm talking about the turtle suit as far as corrections doing the forced cell moves and they're doing extractions. Okay. But... Um, what the public don't know is a penitentiary is basically a community within a community. It's got the 40-foot walls up. It's got a business, which is the plate factory, where you make license plates or state furniture. And they got their own court system. They have a barbershop. They have a gym. They have a community. And if you violate the rules in that community, the correctional officers give you a ticket, and you go in front of the disciplinary committee. If it's bad enough, they give you time in segregation. No big deal. It's like going to the county jail in segregation so you're not in the yard no more well these are the guys that wound up in the control unit and we're talking about here's some of the things the guys in the control unit do when a person has to face themselves and not have anything to numb themselves it's painful guys would bang their head between the toilet and the wall to knock themselves out Weichel inmate Weichel just trying to kill himself trying to kill himself well to knock himself out to get some relief just, just to avoid the pain or just get rid the of the point. pain of being in there. Yeah. And then, so you do that, and you said you did that about five years? Um, that deal on working the control unit, you do it on tours. I mean, they can't, they can't keep you in there indefinitely. They give you four months at a time. But I was doing double shifts. And, you know, Tommy, here's something I want to say. The inmates gave me respect. I know they, 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 they it was nothing personal with me. Um, I was by the book. I only know how to be by the book. I mean, I'm smart enough. I'm a street guy. If I know if I'm giving you a cigarette today, it's packed next week. It's a hacksaw the week after. So I just was by the books, but I was respectful. I never got them to pee and poop in a shampoo bottle and shake it up and squirt it on me, which they do to staff. Not all staff, but they do it to some staff. But it sounds like you were respectful to them. Yes. You understood because you were you're coming from the streets. Yes. So you could relate to them Charlie. better than the average officer. He's with them. They, yeah. They are Charlie. Yeah, you know they're Charlie in many ways. Yes, right. I so, mean, you're watching these guys. I mean, I mean, I, I've been on both sides, and you've had some experience. And to be a law enforcement officer in a situation where you were them, like, like you know how difficult it was for me to make an arrest. Right. It was it was torturous. I, I didn't want to arrest people because I knew I was bad. Right, because you're a criminal, and then you're arresting yeah, criminals. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. want—I I was bad enough what I was doing. I didn't want to be duplistic and, and a hypocrite. So you 
they were looking at you. You were looking at them. We, we were looking at each other back and forth. And it didn't help a little bit, Tommy, with the staff. You know, until I moved up in corrections, they treated, they said, let's, I was on the corrections emergency response team, and we go out into the field to do drills. They always said, let's make the New Yorker the inmate. Yeah, sure. So <laughs> I had to endure that from staff. I had the inmates that would look at me and say, man, come on, you got a story, you know. Because I had so much anger. You post that picture, there's so much anger in my eyes that I go to a cell door, and these guys knew that there was something that had happened to me. There was some type of stress and trauma that happened to me. But I got through that. Now, what made you leave uh, the Department of Corrections and then go into waste uh, recycle management? Well, Tommy, here's the thing. I started to realize as my consciousness got better and I got clean and sober for years, I started to look at new guys that were coming out of the academy that were squeaky clean looking. They looked like they, you know, Forrest Gump or whatever. And within a year or two, they look rogue. These guys look like they had a wild eye in their eyes. They had a thousand yard stare. And then I'd go get a haircut or something and the girl would say, you know, Charlie, you're not a bad guy, but you're so intimidating looking. I, I wanted to get away from that. That wasn't the environment I wanted to finish up in. And, you know, right around the 10-year mark or less right there, I got out of the corrections because I started the trash business, and I built it up with hard work, and I got out of it. That's what I wanted to ask you. The waste recycle management business was really successful. It now, was. you have a lot of competition in that. Yes. You know, I, my bread and butter is marketing. What made your company so successful with all the competition out there that you had? What, you know, what was it, that, other than the time that you put into it, how, how were you able to make that so successful? Because now you go from a severe addict, pretty much homeless, right? You recover, you go to the Department of Corrections, and then you go to waste. Not as an inmate. Not as an inmate. Not as an inmate. No, I'm saying as an inmate. But then you go <laughs> yes. to waste uh, recycling management. Yeah. And, you know, for people watching, what did you do? Because, you know, maybe somebody's recovering and they're trying to get yeah. into some. How did you make that so successful? Okay, here's how you made it successful, and it's important. You have to start with the smallest twig to build a nest for your bird, okay? So I started with just a simple ad that I would haul away a, a pile of trash for $35. Now, it didn't make sense back then because I was making enough money in corrections that my hourly time and a half would blow that away, but I took the opportunity to do that. I built on that. Now, what was the average price for the other companies, so you're charging thirty-five. Yeah. What are the other companies? Charging? What I found out, Tommy, is the other companies didn't offer much service like that. They put a dumpster down, you had to load it yourself. Right. Oh, so I got, shit. so I got in doing that. So you you took all the small stuff. I took all the small stuff, and then was able to build a truck that could take the bigger stuff. And I did it, and I treated it like a baby. You know, you want a baby if you're a father, and you want a son to be a major league ball player. You do everything easy, nutrition, training. I didn't take a nickel from the trash business. I kept on growing it and bought the equipment eventually. And then once you get the equipment, you can open it up. Now, in Nebraska, they had the same families, a couple of families hauling trash since the beginning of time. They didn't have a guy from New York hauling the trash. And I kind of, what worked for me was I was kind of like a nuisance, They but they didn't take me serious. And they would get customers that would want extra service, like uh, a bathroom, uh, debris taken out and hauled away. They give it to me, but they didn't know they were feeding me, and uh, they fed me enough that I wound up. So, in other words, you got into it. You took all the jobs that nobody else wanted, yep. and undercut them with the price to build up. You worked hard. Yes. People liked you. You're in New York. You're a different person. So yes. that's kind of attractive. 
And even if it's not attractive, it's still kind of attractive because like New York is known for waste management. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, and they got a kick out of it. They you know, yeah. they, they laughed and they said, you know, you're probably not too many handshakes from a mafia guy. Yeah, and, and you're yeah. dying and your dad, yeah. obviously. And, and, and Tommy, we have to have a little levity here. So yeah. my father uh, comes out. My father didn't like me working in corrections, and I uh, obviously I didn't would, like I that. I would think he wouldn't like that but, very much. So my father finally <laughs> comes out to Nebraska, and we go to get me a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. And my father says, you know, this place is different. He goes, it's, you know, I, I, it's not like the South. It's pretty good. It's okay. So we go to get me a pickup truck. So the guy, the salesman says to my father and me, he says, look, this truck only has a V6. When you guys are hauling bodies, you need bigger motors. <laughs> and my father said, did he just say what I thought? Dad, they all watched the movies. I said, they all watched the movies. You know, this is before even Sopranos. I mean, this is, he, so my father said to him, my father was a good speaker. He didn't speak much, but he said to him, you know, that's an insult. So you're telling me all you think is Italians uh, are mobsters? And the salesman says, no, but you guys seem like you're like them type of guys. Yeah. He goes, this is worthless here. So, I mean, that was, that was my father's first. Uh, now, what was your father's position? My father was a teamster with the trucking union. Okay. Plus, he was involved in concrete business. And we know that he was arrested with Imbruglia, who was a lifelong criminal that was a, a, a guy with I, what, who, who knows what family but he was in the French connection he was doing something that wasn't right okay we'll leave it as uh, position unknown position yeah. unknown yeah <laughs> right that, yeah. that's a safe out yeah all right so one day you're at your desk at the waste recycling management company yes. whatever and you're reading the newspaper and you always read the headline you don't read just the headline I you read, read the entire thing from start to finish start to finish and in that, you see about this dog who becomes a star, who gets shot by an NYPD cop. Yes. And now I'm going to tell you what I have, and then you elaborate on the story. So they're in New York, a uh, homeless man, homeless dog. They're together. Stanky. Stanky. Like Stankowitz. Like Stankowitz. Okay. And the man, the homeless man, who is the owner of Soon to Be Star is having a seizure yes so there's plenty of people in the streets a woman comes up to help star or, or help the man who's having a seizure right and star chases the woman away out of protection right then there's a million people around everywhere taking videos and yes. all that stuff yes and then the cops are called the cops come yes the cop goes to try to help the man having a seizure and Star, again, out of protection, lunges at the cop. Right. But what the cop does do, Tommy, is that the cop realizes he probably radioed for an ambulance. He, he, he just basically wants to keep the crowd away from the dog and get a safe perimeter. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, he's got a woman that doesn't listen to his commands. The cop is saying, stay back, stay back. The woman doesn't. She wants to be animal trainer. So she gets in the perimeter. Star runs her off. Then, and I found this out from people that know a lot about training dogs. Star was doing a job that no dog, you could put $100,000 into a dog and not get a dog to do that. She ran the woman out of the perimeter. But the problem was, when she ran the woman out of the perimeter, the officer was concerned, so he was chasing the dog from behind, basically, or just stepped into the perimeter. The dog spun around, felt the intrusion, and went straight for the officer. The officer then fired his uh, service weapon, hit the dog in the head, um, and then you can go ahead with the next part. And then the other officer comes after shooting the dog in the head and yeah. maces yeah. her. Now, how sick do you have to be? You just shot the dog in the head. What reason, what possible reason 
you got to be the sickest guy on the planet to go mace. You just yeah. shot the dog in the head. What's it going to get up? Tommy, here's why the story, it created worldwide outrage, okay? I mean, there's a lot of dogs. There's a lot of things that happen in America. People all over the world um, got involved in this with social media and everything. And the scene is, on on the uh, screen is, the dog's laying out, the man's there, and after it's all done, you believe the dog is dead because the New York newspaper said she was dead. But here's what happened. I've had a lot of years to really digest this thing. It was a horror show that went on. The, the comp that maced it, I don't know if... I'm going to play devil's advocate. He might have been scared that Star might have got up again, and then the other officer might have shot it. We don't know why he did that. Be- Char- Charlie, she, I don't think that dog's getting not up Not now. Not now. But when the first shot came in, she was. Spe- it was an ugly, ugly scene. and I, It's something that I don't even like to look at. I, I'm not going to play and, it. And here's the thing, what I know about this. I got guys that have seen a lot. They don't want to see that. They don't want to see that. This is an ugly... I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I didn't even watch it. No. And I think that it's important to know something really bad happened, which it did, and to know that the headlines were simple. The dog died. There's video of the dog bled out. And now I'm at my desk. And Tommy, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of this thing. And I can't believe how I got myself into this. Now, I don't know what's going on internally with me. I don't know that I'm connecting this dog to my dog. That got hit by the car. Hit by the car. And, I don't, and I'm looking at that homeless guy, and I'm saying to myself, I know that guy. That's me. That's you. That's me. Mm-hmm. And there's the NYPD in the middle of this whole thing. How did this whole, my life is being. Now, before Star got shot, I was running a big trash business. I was a chief operations officer. I sold my trash business, then got involved with another group of guys that bought my trash business, and we were going into the neighboring states. We were building this thing for the, to sell it. So I hired a consultant from Omaha to hang with us and to look at what we were doing. And this guy was a low-key guy, and he said to me before Star got shot, he goes, I have never seen a more scorekeeping transactional guy you better find something in this life that gives you purpose, that gets you out of bed in the morning and doesn't pay you a damn cent. You're not going to live a long life. Because I had this addiction, and all I could think about was trash stops, trash stops, trash stops. Bill. So dog gets shot, and now I got purpose. But the dog is dead, and then the NYPD spokesperson says the dog is dead. So I call in my staff to watch this video. And these guys are guys that have seen some stuff and they're like I can't look at this Charlie you, they were, they were, one guy had his hand on my back Charlie I don't know why you're affecting this it's so bad you've worked in prison you, why is this affecting you so bad I was, felt like my guts got ripped out Tommy and I didn't know it at the time man if that dog died I felt like I was going to die but what made you think that it wasn't dead because Tommy I never believed in anything in my whole life I never really believed even though, even though Michael the guy in the train station said he needed a higher power I went along with the program. I got a higher power. It got me out of the drugs enough, but I didn't heal. So for some reason, I believe the dog lived, and that's not like me. I'm a scorekeeping transactional guy. So it was an, it was an instinct an that instinct. made you believe that it, 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 wasn't, it went, that it wasn't dead, that it was still alive. So your instinct inside said the dog's still alive. But I also am a prudent guy. The Department of Corrections taught me something that we should all live by. Come a little closer to the mic. Prudent. Prudent means sensible approach to things, to be able to weigh evidence. 
So I'm a prudent guy where I start to weigh things out. So I bring other people in. Everybody's unanimous. Charlie, a dog died. She bled out. It's gone. So I said to myself, okay, she's not in pain no more, but I don't believe it. So that afternoon, I call, I look, I looked at the, who had the contract for New York City Animal. It was at New York City Animal Care and Control. I wound up um, getting the phone number and calling them up from my office in Nebraska. And I hit the admin. Instead of hitting the pound, I knew that I wasn't going to start with entry-level people. I hit the admin. And I got an administrative assistant on the phone. I said to Renee, her name was, I'll never forget it. I said, Charlie Seferelli, I don't lie. Tommy, I don't lie. I, I mean, I just tell the truth. I said, I'm calling you because I'm in the recycling business, trash business, and I want to know if you're going green in New York City. And she was only too happy to talk about that she's going green <laughs> and that she's really happy about this. I keep her on the phone for a little while, and then I segue over to the dog. And at first, she doesn't know what I'm talking about. She says, we got a lot of dogs. I said, this dog was shot by New York City police. And she typed a bunch of stuff into the computer, and she goes, well, what do you want to know, sir? I said, did the dog die? She goes, no, the dog didn't die. The dog's actually at the Fifth Avenue vet right now. Um, but why did they say the dog died? Look, the dog most likely is going to die, sir. The injuries are pretty substantial and this and that, but the public can handle this better. Whatever she said at the time, I took that information called the Fifth Avenue vet, and I found out the dog was alive, and I felt like I got a new lease on life. I felt like I was reborn again. I mean, I hear people talk about reborn. I felt like I hit the lottery. So I, I make sure I anchor my position in, I find out who the director of is, the New York City Animal Care and Control, Rich Gentles at the time. I send him a LinkedIn connect. I tell him how nice they're doing recycling. He's only too happy to give me his email. I said, look, by the way, I know the dog's alive. I'm going to get everything <laughs> I can to help this dog. Nice, nice play. But unfortunately, the dog lawyered up. The dog had a bunch of lawyers stepped in, so that was that. Right. So now, Mike, you as a former NYPD, what do you think about this? I mean shooting the dog, then macing the dog, just just as an officer? Well, most... From the outside. Yeah, from my experience, most police officers generally don't go overboard. Would you consider that overboard? Well, I mean, looking at the scene, it looks horrific. So I, any natural first instinct is, oh, my goodness, why would they do that? So I wasn't there, but I did see the video, and I would have maced the dog and maybe shot the dog again if you looked at the whole video. Oh, you would have? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not that not that I want the dog dead. I have come to love Star through Charlie. Yeah. yeah. But the dog still was a threat still when he was initially shot. Believe it or not, which is unbelievable. Which is unbelievable. That's how much fight was still left in Star, but people don't see it unless they see the video. Yeah. yeah. So that's why. That's why. That's okay. why. Yeah, not yeah. Uh, I've come to love dogs. I've, uh, by the way, I've been attacked. I've been attacked by six dogs. So yeah. <laughs> that's not fun. No, no. no I, I, and, you, and Charlie, you have a few experiences yourself. Yeah, I have a few. I almost lost my eye. Yeah. <laughs> I, almost, I was almost eaten alive by 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 a, a, a what they call guard dog attack <laughs> attack shepherd. Yeah, eaten yeah. Almost alive. ate me. Almost at sixteen, almost ate me alive. It's the facts. I lo almost lost my eye. In fact, if you look in here, you can still see it. Yeah, yeah, it's still there. It's still there. And my leg was chewed up, and the dog was eating me. So I have no great love for dogs initially, right? And then, but over the years, I softened and have come to love animals. Again, it's very, it was very difficult for me. So when I hear stories about people and their love for animals, I'm initially reticent. Put that word in your vocabulary. I'm initially reticent. Don't even know what it means. Yes, okay. but I get, I begun, I begin to, uh, uh, I've begun over my years to soften to that, much as I have, as I have to people. Because, you know, it's part of 
my relationship with animals and people is sort of a similar thing. So. Okay. Yeah. So now you're now all tell me about all the red tape and the hoops and the bula you had to go it's through. It's a lot. It's a Tommy because the New York Animal Care Control they weren't helping. The witness you. protection. Tell us about the. They witness put they protection. put this dog in a witness. Here's the thing, Tommy. After you've told all the major net networks, the headlines are the dog is dead, and then the spokesperson said the dog's dead, and now you got to reverse it. Now the dog's alive because I'm going out and telling people I'm calling. I'm smart enough to know how to use, even though I'm not skilled in media, I know that the people in England think we're crazy with our guns. So what do I do? I start sending emails out, doing things I can to get on a radio show in England to talk about how crazy this is. And Like actually England, England? England, U- UK. Daily, Daily, Daily Caller? Whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. I call them, they, yeah. they do an interview with me. But I come at this thing like a swath of bees. I'm all over. So one of the things I do is I don't know at the time, because I can't connect to this guy. I, I don't know what's drawing me to these two, and I'll find that out later. But at this point, there's something in me that is drawing me to a homeless man and their dog, and I have no ability. Now, the woman I'm with, the longest relationship I'm with, never knew I had a dog. She always wanted a dog. I said, no, we can't get a dog. She goes, can we get a little dog? No dogs. And she said, we can't get a dog? No, no dogs. I don't want a dog. But you didn't tell her why. I didn't tell her why. Because I had this trauma with my own dog. Right. So I'm pulling towards this guy, and I said to myself, you know what? I got to do something for this guy. And I write on like a CNN article or something. I, I message somewhere. I put a comment that I would help this guy give him a new lease in life. And a reporter, Penny Tilton at the time, gets a hold of me, and she does a few articles on me. Back then it was just the examiner. She does a CNN eye report. And she said, this man, Charlie Sifra, is willing to help this man. And that puts the cameras on me, and I was willing to help him. But ultimately the man did not want help from me. He thanked me through a homeless coalition. He wanted to go back to Poland. He signed the dog over to the city of New York because they had put a lot of, like my parents did, my parents were authorities over my dog, and I said, no, you've got to be clean, you've got to have a job, you've got to be able to provide medical and good food. He, he had a list. He couldn't do it. He signs the dog over. The dog becomes property of the New York City Animal Care and Control. So he no longer owns the dog. He doesn't want my help. Now, let me ask you this real quick. So before that, because Star survives, yes. who sets up the situation where 10000 was donated for her surgery, the and then she ends up? Uh, blind in the left eye and yes. deaf in the left ear, right? Yes, yes. So, so the public did it. They the just... public comes out, and they and the city of New York has something called the Star um, Fund. It's a fund that it's not because of Star; it's just the Star Fund. So they use this money to help Star. Now, Great. the Star story is dark. They 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 keep they never reveal who shoots the dog. The dog gets put in a witness protection program, literally. Um, a dog. How about that? The wise guy's son. The wise guy's son. Where is yeah, it, Mike? Yeah. Wise guy's yeah. son is in the witness. Yeah, yeah the wise, guy, wise guy's son's dog. Wreck, we, no, the wise guy who yeah, should you, be in the witness protection yeah. program isn't, <laughs> but he rescues a dog from the witness protection witness. program. <laughs> so, so you people, people were very, very worldwide were crazy about this. Dog. Of course, I use wise guy's son yeah. a little loosely. I, yeah. I hope you don't. No, I'm okay with that. I mean, your yeah. dad did bury. I mean, no, no, cement, no, no, the no. cement. <laughs> I mean, the cement. Yeah. Well, come on, <laughs> come on, the cement is. Bah, whatever. Joey went to work, didn't come home that day. I mean, it happens. It was accidents. Who knows? I don't know. But look, uh, but the thing was, the thing was, 
I um, pursue this dog. And I don't know why I'm pursuing this dog. I'm pursuing this dog at all cost. I turn my office into an intelligence center for the dog. I order the biggest whiteboard, four feet by 14 or 16 feet. I cover the whole board. So you're building like a stock room. To I'm find going, this dog. So I tell like my organized own, crime. Uh, Bill, ever see the organized yeah, crime right, boards? Yeah, they got the, 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 the boss balls, up top and the balls, the, the captain. Yeah. Out and the yeah. Investigative team. So, so now I tell my staff here. I said, look, I want to know who's with me with this. I want to know who's with me with this dog. Oh my! I want to know anybody's going to volunteer their time to find this dog. And this is at the waste. Yeah, waste. Yeah. yeah. So, so you got you got people that are working. We, at and we got sixty five hundred customers, and <laughs> yeah. we got one hundred and twenty employees. Worked out We're good. busy people, man. We're busy, and we all got stuff to do. I get a, a network of people that that are bright that are going to help me, and we put up the whiteboard and every fact about this dog and where she went. I'm going to find this dog. So the dog quietly has surgery to remove the eye and then is renamed and sent to a sanctuary in Philadelphia. The public doesn't know this. Her lawyers know this. At this point, Star's got a... uh, a Sounds like me. He's got a team of lawyers. He's got a team of lawyers. The dog's got a team of lawyers. (laughs) The New York City uh, police are giving no comment on this. It It was a PR nightmare. You know, years later, the NYPD did a Twitter campaign, uh, tweet your most memorable moment, and people started tweeting the shooting. So how this dog came back from the dead is unbelievable. But the thing is, the Daily Mail said, Nebraska man believes in miracles. Pitbull shot in head makes a miraculous recovery. And at this point, I didn't know I was going to get a, have, a, have a life, Tommy. You see, Tommy, I never had a childhood. I never had a childhood. When I was a young kid, man, I was a referee between my mother and father. When I was a young kid, I had to scrape just to eat. I had to get involved in adult situations that I didn't have any business in. I never had a childhood. I never did the things that I wanted to do, man. My father didn't throw a football to me. He didn't throw a baseball to me. And I'm not saying poor me, but that didn't happen. And what's worse is having a father in your life, but not having a father. Having no father, then there's no bad role model. So my father did not help me, and what he did was my dream to become a cop. He dirtied that dream because I'd be in East New York or Brooklyn with him because he did Starrett City with the blocks, and he'd pay off the officers so he could double park his trucks with the concrete. <laughs> and, then, and then he'd justify it to me, and I'd say, I said, them officers are taking money from you. I could tell. He goes, it's not for them. they got to bring it to the captain of the station. And, he, and, he, and he, my father would do everything he can to dissuade me. He, he only looked at the police as if they were bad, that they didn't do a good job, that they had an easy job. And things happened. And, my, and the police were not in good terms with my father and the block company. They, I think one time he had a bunch of uh, flowers from my mother and a bouquet, a bunch of stuff in the front seat, and the door was left open with a, with a, with a, with a um, card or something, whatever it was. He knew the cops had done it. So now all this stuff happens. And I never Charlie, had... but you, you you mentioned it earlier, and I don't know if you recall it. Your father shot a cop, too. Yeah. The, listen, my father was arrested in 1956. But you didn't know this. I didn't know this. I, I'll, I'll get to know this in 18 when I write this book we're going to talk about. My father never told me this. But my father had jailhouse tattoos, man. And I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. And Tommy, this guy was a fighter, man. He was 175 pounds. I saw him fight guys at parties. I saw him fight guys in the street. Kids, I threw some fireworks one time. He ran up the front of a Corvette, jumped in the T-tops, took the key out of ignition so the kid can't take off, 
punched him between the eyes, and his head just swelled the size of a, of a, of a pumpkin. So I got this maniac that robbed me of a childhood, that destroyed the pool, that made my life... I became a nervous wreck, man. At eight years old, I was getting thrown out of my house, and I had to go to a supermarket and act like I was shopping and open up food so nobody knew I was stealing and eat food. By 12 and 13, I was sleeping in the back of parks in the summertime, sleeping in a tunnel because I was street smart enough to know if I was in a tunnel, if somebody went in one end, I'd go out the other. I would eat the food. The cops would come into my suburban neighborhood in, the, in Lakeside School, and they would park two deep, three deep. They get a call, they throw their food out. I'd go scrap whatever food they had. I had a lousy childhood. Yeah. And then my childhood turned into my brother being born eight years after me. He had a lousy childhood. When he turned 16 years old, he emancipated himself. He changed his last name and never left, never came back to our home. That's how, and my father never laid a hand on him. And I saw my brother the first time. I'm in Florida today. I'm in Florida since yesterday. I saw my brother in person last time. I saw him was 15 years ago. So you haven't seen him in 15 years? I haven't seen him in 15 years. And you saw him yesterday? I seen him yesterday. That's great. And Because he came out to Nebraska. Because he knew I was doing bad and knew I was doing really good and knew I was doing bad at one point. And he wanted to get involved in the trash business. And I just wasn't a nice guy, Tommy, before Star got shot. I just wasn't a nice guy. And I, I think I hurt his feelings. And, I, and he went back to Florida, and I never talked to him again. And uh, son, of, son of a gun, Mike Dowd, you know, for all that people don't like about him, he's been done a few things for me. And... I never thought I'd even know this guy personally, but the good cop. The this guy, guy here? Yeah. No this way. Guy, yeah. This guy here. This <laughs> guy make, here. You're making me guy, get water. This, this guy here. Now. This guy like here. And I don't want. Being. I don't want to lose my <laughs> I'm track. A human being, not a human doing. I, I, I wound up. I wound up. I know we're throwing a lot of stuff here. Hopefully, you don't lose any of the, of the listeners. But, no, no, no. But in '18, I watched the documentary to seven five, mm-hmm. and it moved me. And here you are sitting next to him. And I said to myself, this guy survived. Because when I was in corrections, Tommy, a little bit of they'd say to me, hey, Cifarelli, this guy Dowd is out there. We're watching him on a bus going to Atlantic City. You talk like him. You, you telling me you don't know that guy? They should only know I was in East New York in the same precinct, but I knew of him. He was infamous. But in 18, I tell the good cop, this guy Dowd, I, I, I know this story personally. I know of this guy. He goes, would you like to meet him? Is this the guy that found you in your slippers? Yeah. I said, I meet him. I said, is that possible? I mean, how? He said, yeah, I think, I think it would be good for you and him. So I met Mike Dowd. And how does that all happen? Take me through all that. Well, the thing was, this guy, Ted, he um, took us out to eat, both of us. And I meet this guy, and I sit in the back seat. And I'm saying, how can this happen? Are, are you a cop at this time? No, it was 18. No, it was last year. Was oh, years, oh, I thought, I thought you were saying like 18. At 18. No, oh, okay. 2018. Gotcha. 2018, so gotcha. we, go to, we go for a meal. So I don't think that Mike Dowd could help me. Matter of fact, I haven't had a drug in my body in 30 years. I haven't drank in 24 years. I always carry my medallion of sobriety in my pocket. Because it's the most important thing that I have. Without that, I have nothing. Well, congratulations on that. Thank by you. The way. So I, I see that Mike is clean and sober, and I see that he, he's impacting people. I take my medallion out. And I said, "This will help you get to the next one," and I give it to him. And I think that I'm going to help this guy. 
My friend helped him. I'm going to help him. So as time would go on, and I'm zigzagging around here, um, it's important to hear this. Star died in February of 2019 after many years with her, recovery with her, taking her to Alzheimer's walks, cancer walks. She was very big in the community. People that were injured gravitated towards her. So this dog that I fought for that was in a witness protection program becomes a superhero. And this is beyond anything that I could ever imagine that's going to save my life. Tommy, I was not a great guy. Was I breaking the law? No, I never broke the law again. Could the cops say they had, no? Did I go out late at night? No. Did I drink? No. But I wasn't a nice guy. There wasn't that next level, that spiritual side to me. Until you got star. Until I got star. And then we did some wonderful things. We did. I went to classrooms. See, Tommy. But, but Charlie, you got to tell me how you got star. Okay, so I got star um, by staying on top of this dog and following the story and getting the whiteboard. Yeah, so you got the whiteboard. You're trying to get everybody you can to help you. Yes. Now, go back to that and take me from there how you got, because I know, I know all the hell you went through yeah, to get this yeah. dog. So the hell is this, Tommy? You know, I contact her legal defense fund. They don't really want. They just charm me. Charlie, you know, Star will be adopted out one day. I said, is she okay? And time goes on, and I'm getting a public. I mean, I get more followers on a Facebook than the Omaha World Herald, and I'm getting people. And I become the spokesperson for this dog. The East um, Village Times keeps quoting me. People that want to know about this dog will reach out to me. And it's my first experience with the media. So, eventually... I tell the legal defense fund, I need, I need proof that this dog's alive. Let's stop the nonsense. No picture, no de- the dog is dead. They didn't want to do that. So they give me a picture of the dog. Now, when you see this picture, what do you see in the picture? You see cars. Yes. You see uh, something with the semi-truck, yes. Yes. license plate. Explain to me that whole thing. Okay, so what I do initially was I take a look at the picture. And... What I do is I write down everything I see because I'm going to ask a reporter if it's the same thing she sees. I take notice and zoom in, and I notice none of the cars have front license plates. And but what does that mean? That means I, I go to a list of which states don't have front license plates. Okay. But Pennsylvania is big on my list because it's close to New York. And I zoom into the far pack that I can see that they weren't white, they weren't removed. There's no front plate because there's like vanity plates or like New York Yankees, different things on the front cars. So now I got Pennsylvania. Now they're smarter than they they think they're smarter than with this because they take a semi that's in the background and they white out the door of the semi so I can't see the semi's name, but the USDOT number's there. And as a a guy... And what's the USDOT number? The USDOT number's assigned to every truck in America, and it tells specific information about that truck, who the carrier is, who's the owner of that truck, where is it based out of, how many miles a year do they drive, what is their uh, driving record? It's everything. So now I trace this dog to Philadelphia. So now I know that this dog is in Philadelphia. And I know the address of where this semi's at, but I'm perplexed, and I'm going to be not learn where the dog is for months. So it's an old army industrial complex. I take the little yellow guy from Google back then, twelve, and I move him <laughs> to where the dog is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I see the same scenery, but no dog. And I said, "There's no rescue here. There's no there's no animal shelter here." So I didn't know that they just moved in there, and that Google didn't update their address. 
So now I at least have a, a footprint of where to call. So I start calling all these places for the dog. Do you have a one-eyed pit bull? And it's always no. It's always no. It's always no. And I, I spend more time on hold than I do on the phone uh, calling people. But I never get distracted. But at the same time, months are going by, and my significant other says, look, you've lost yourself in this. And at this point, how many months is it? Oh, I'm into this thing three months now. She got shot in August. Hardcore. Hardcore. I mean, look, I'm up all night going to work, wild-eyed, and I'm trying to find this dog. And she says to me, look, it's going to kill you to find this dog. I said, <laughs> I'm going to find this dog no matter what it takes. And I don't realize, Tommy, I'm gutted. I feel so much pain in my gut. I This dog to me is like a family member. I never met the dog. Now, Tommy. There are a lot of sad situations that happen every day. I have a level of compassion for every situation, a level of compassion. I know bad things happen in the world, but I'm also a statistical guy. I, I kind of look at, you know, they'll tell me 10,000 dogs a day and die in U.S. shelters. I want to know what the statistic of how many dogs a day get rescued. But this dog, I have no emotional muscle for this dog. I'm completely wiped out and all I want to do is help this poor dog. Well, you you're, you're you were an addict, so you got addicted to the the, dog. the waste business. Yeah, the, you know you you go like we said earlier in the beginning. You're an extremist. So now, the only thing you care about at this time is finding this dog. in general. Yeah. you know, is finding this dog. So this this is your new addiction is finding this dog. So how do you eventually find the dog <clears throat> where you get the chance to go meet the dog? It happens. So what finally happens is this, Tommy. I finally hit the, the, the mother load. I call the shelter, the, the um, sanctuary. I said, hi, do you have a one-eyed pit bull that's brown? Yes, we do. Uh, is her name Star? No, it's Shiloh. Oh. Um, is there a left eye that's missing? Sir, I can't give that information. A supervisor gets on. I know I got the dog. I said, his supervisor, I said, I'm coming out to see this dog. She says, no, you can't. We have a director here. I said, have the director call me. So the director calls me of the shelter. About a half an hour later, I see a 215 number light up. I know I'm on it. Because if I'm some kook, they're not calling me back. Right. So 215 number comes up. I asked the guy, David. He's the director. Me and this guy are oil and vinegar in the beginning. He's a powerful guy in Philly. Um, businessman. Good guy. Tough, but a good heart. He says... To me, he says to me, uh, can I help you? I said, yeah, you can help me. I said, are you a liar? He says, no, I take offense to that. I said, well, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have Star of the New York Pitbull? He goes, I can't confirm and deny that. I said, you got the dog. I said, I'm coming to see the dog. He goes, you cannot. The dog is owned by the city of New York. I said, I'm coming to see He goes, don't do that. If you care for this dog, don't do that. Don't move her. I said, he says, look, I know who you are. I know you've been following this dog. We all know who you are. <laughs> he says, I want to see if I get permission for you to see the dog. And that's where the mayor alliance came in? Yeah, that's where the mayor's alliance came in. So I've eventually, after a couple of days, they give me permission to see the dog. But they, re they reel me in, Tommy. They reel me in. Um, David is a guy that can get through to me. He's a business guy. He says to me, look, I'm going to be real upfront with you. This dog is not going to get any better treatment than she's getting with us. So that's number one. Number two, this dog would have been euthanized if it wasn't for us. This dog was in such bad condition, had MRSA, had all kinds of Ooh. issues. I went out of my way to keep this dog alive. It would have been humane to, 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 to euthanize her. He goes, so I'm going to be really upfront with you. 
You're going to come to visitor. You're not going to have no cell phone. You're not going to take no pictures. You're not going to tell the public. You're going to follow our rules. So I said, okay, like a mouse. Okay. And I told Jen I found the dog. I'm going to visit the dog. Now, I don't fly, Tommy. I don't fly. I got another one that doesn't fly. Tommy, I, listen. <laughs> what is all, it? All, ta- all it takes is all it takes me a band leader that killers that, that, that don't yeah, fly. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't fly, Tommy. Tommy, I, I don't like to be restrained. Death row, I don't death like row, uh, correction <laughs> officer. You don't fly. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. working in death yeah. row hand, yeah. in the pen. Hand the, hand the hand the needle to the guy. Put him at <laughs> no a needle. Electric chair. <laughs> electric. Yeah. So oh. Tommy, I don't fly. So I I, I I fly for the dog, Tommy. I fly for the dog because they 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 give me a date I could see the dog. Right. So now, Tommy. I'm not in corrections no more. The waste management business that I'm a chief operations officer knows I went cuckoo. But they don't care because on the same thing, I'm a New York guy. I can knock out 10 trash bids and get 10 trash bids or I can squell fights between drivers or whatever they need. I could squash it and make it work. I'm a magic man. I'm a a rainmaker. You're a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker. So I get on a plane. I go to see the dog. Now, here's the problem. The guy I knew from from Department of Corrections now has moved up. He's a TSA uh, agent, officer. And he says to me, how you doing, Sephirelli? He asks questions. We're question-asking guys. He says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to go visit a dog out in Philadelphia. I can tell him that's a lot. He says, can you tell me anything more? He says, that seems odd. I said, can't tell you anymore. That's all I can tell you. I said, but eventually, this will make the news, and you'll, you'll be able to read about it. And um, so I go visit the dog, and I get picked up at the airport, and I'm given the rules and regulations, and here's how this is going to go. We're going to take photos of you with the dog. We're going to do a press release. This story is going to be a happy story. So now they put out this story, which nobody lied. Nebraska man that started a Facebook page meets his number meets his number one fan. And they're really nice photos. They have Star in a 20 by 20 room. They play classical music. It keeps the dogs calm. Only the director can open it. He tells me, look, my staff doesn't know the real name of this dog. We're not doing it. We don't want anybody knowing this is a famous dog. We want this story to just go away. So here's the deal. She's got a new name. You're not going to tell the staff what it. You're not taking no photos. You're going to get back on a plane after visiting her for a few hours. For two over two days, they let me visit her, and that's the end of the story. I said, okay, that's what I got to do. So I, I visit the dog. I meet the dog. They pick me up at the airport, and I I, I go down this long corridor in this place that could be a, a medium security prison. And I finally realized why the place isn't on Google Maps because they just moved in there. And there's a, a door that says director only to open this door. And I've been talking about this dog on the news, radio, for three months. I watched a video. I died a thousand deaths. I lost my sleep over this dog. I'm going to meet the greatest soul that I ever am going to meet in my lifetime. I'm going to meet this dog. And I still don't realize why I'm being drawn to this dog because this is my redemption. This is, I'm going to get my childhood. I'm going to get to be a human being, not a human doing. I am not going to think about transactional scorekeeping. I am not going to make sure that I go through a buffet and I pack my plate up big enough. I am not going to wonder if I'm getting enough interest on my money in the bank. I'm going to be a human being when I meet this dog. So they open up this door, and I got an entourage of people behind me. I don't know how they didn't know this dog was famous. And then there's another set of gates, and then there's this dog. So I see this dog that I talked about, and I go, is this the dog? 
the dog looks really small. The dog's not even up to my knee. <laughs> I said, no, she got a little more weight on her over there. We, we fed her there a bit. So I meet the dog, Tommy. I meet the dog. I ain't get down. I give her a hug for the whole world. People would message me, man. If you ever meet this dog, give her a hug. I hugged her for the whole world. She didn't want the hug. She was like, who are you, dude? So I hug this dog, and I see these horrific injuries to her. She's got the eye missing, the sockets out, uh, stitched up. She looks a little scary on that left side. She looks a little scary. And um, I mentioned to the director, I said, you know, I'd like to be her lawful owner one day. He goes, look, buddy, you create a lot of noise. I don't think this is going to work out for you. And he redirects me, Tommy. He redirects me. So I visit the dog over two days. I say goodbye to her. I don't think I'm ever going to see her again. And um, I feel like my mission is done. I see this thing full circle, and I'm okay with this. And I'm okay in a lot of levels. Because, listen, I'm a New York guy, know a lot of cops, worked in corrections. I had everybody coming down on me. Charlie, you could always second guess a use of force. Charlie, you di- you got to come clean with this. You got to say that sometimes we make mistakes, something happens. Instead of doing much, I just stay neutral at that point. I don't I don't say anything negative. I just move on. So I get home and I see Jen. And she goes, "How to go?" I said, "Thank you very much for getting me on the plane. I can rest easy now." She goes, "Oh, you can?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Um, I want to get back with my life now. I got a trash business waiting for me to work on." And I got a lot of work. She goes, get back to your life. She goes, you're going to get that dog, mister. I said, Jen, I said, I don't want the dog. She says, you're going to get that dog. Because if you don't get that dog, you're never going to have any peace. Because you're never going to know what happened to that dog. And you know she's a pit bull. You know she's got a story. You're just taking a little rest right now. You got to get that dog. I said, Jen, I'm, I'm the last guy they want to give the dog to. I could tell this guy, me and Wolf, don't really get along. But you're an extremist. I'm an extremist. And I don't realize that this guy will be a lightning rod for me at some point. And at some point, I'll call him up like a baby crying that star just died in my arms. Ye- years and years later, this guy that I didn't, couldn't gel with at first because he didn't subscribe to my insanity because he's a calm guy and he's a thinker on a different level than I am. So... I get back, and Jen says, you're going to get that dog. So how do you get the dog? I get the dog, Tommy. Now, I'm, I can't write very well. I can only take a test. And she says, it's gonna have to, you're going to have to start writing emails, and you're going to have to do things to get this dog. And she goes, this, this, this lifestyle of yours of switching out of cars and getting new addresses all the time when I was switching houses, she goes, we're going to have to get a different house that's got a yard. Not Because I had gotten um, to the point where I was going to get uh, downsized. I wanted to not do any snow removal. I didn't want to have a big yard anymore. I'd been through all that. I wanted just a, a normal-sized place, a duplex, nice and new, no headaches. Well, it sounds like she wanted you to get a place where you could go present yes. to the adoption people. Like, look, we have a yard, we have yes. this, we have that. Boom, here's the dog. So, Tommy, <clears throat> Tommy, you miss your mark when you get some money, man. You really want that childhood home. You want the home that's a miracle on 34th Street where the cane is left. You want a home that resembles something you grew up in. It doesn't resemble you going into one of these big, sterile, 10,000-square-foot mausoleums. I didn't grow up with that. I grew up in a nice home, but it looked like a home with a, with a fireplace in the middle. So I was going to get a home, and I was going to get to live my life again. It was going to be like I was going to get a do-over. And I got this home, and I had to put up a big fence 
because I needed an eight-foot fence. Because because Jen said to me that she kind of talked to the lawyers with emails and that if I was going to be a, a potential adopter, Star was high risk, I'd have to put up an eight-foot fence. And I'd have to go through all this trouble. Now, Tommy, I picked a house in a really nice neighborhood. My neighbor was a very, very well-known judge, a former World War II veteran at the time. My other neighbor was a professor. I had a real estate guy, a big to do in the real estate. And here I am, I move in this neighborhood and I start putting up this fence. And I'm getting a house ready, like a person gets a bassinet ready for a baby to come. So you build the house up, you make it perfect to for go star. get the dog. So now yeah. you go to get the dog. Yes. What do you present to them that eventually breaks them where they say, okay, Charles, here's the dog? Okay, so Jen wants to go through things normally, and I'm a street guy. And I say, look, to the, to the mayors, I go, look, here's the deal. You guys got to let me have the dog. It makes perfect sense because the dog's a liability like you guys are making it out to be. If the dog ever bit somebody, you guys would have a headache. If the dog bit me, I couldn't tell anybody. Do you think in a million years that that dog ever bit me behind an eight-foot fence, I'm going to say anything? No. So it was a little bit of levity, so it kind of loosened things up. Right. So they, the advocate, the director, worked well with Jen, and they, too, formulated the plan. And I had a muzzle on me to quiet down. And Not the dog. Your muzzle. A muzzle yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I caught that. <laughs> yeah, muzzle for me. So the thing was, the thing was, Tommy, um, I wound up becoming the lawful owner of this dog in April of 2013. There were certain things that were pretty cool, man. I I had to have an eight foot fence, which I did. I had to pick her up in a minivan. I could. I had to sign a bunch of stuff. I couldn't tell anybody I had the dog. Um, all this stuff happened, and I got the dog, and I pick up the dog. After all this, man, I'm going down the highway with the dog. I said, man, we did it, man. It had to be an unbelievable feeling, right? You know, he's, he's going through all that for all that time and the past, and finally, there there she is. So, Tommy, it, it, listen, and I've had some And how long was that? That, Char- that was Char- from uh, August uh, to April, so it was eight, or eight months since she was shot. And December, I met her in person and got her in April. Go over to the clip, Tom. It's uh, three over. This is a, a good clip. Right here, play that. This is Star, a 10-year-old dog she who is. is a walking miracle. Star was shot in the head by police in New York in August of 2012. She became a household name after she survived the accident. But it was a story that followed that changed lives forever. Headlines were that she was shot and killed. Charlie adopted her after hearing she was shot and fought every day to help her survive. It wasn't just Charlie's life that was impacted by this smiling face, but every soul she's touched along the way. I don't have to say anything to anybody, hey, this dog has a... No, they just know. They just know. People are friendly to dogs, but they just know there's something a little extra special about her. Living life in Lincoln, Star has brought the support to those who need it most. But now, it's Star who needs that love in a glimmer of hope. The doctor, the radiologist told me with the surgeon that if Star is to survive, God must intervene because her cancer is inoperable. Diagnosed with cancer, Star may not have much longer to live, a reality that was hard to come to terms with for Charlie after he'd spent years seeing the impact Star has had and the connection he's built along the way. So that's a nice little segment there, you know. So Tommy, I bring the dog home. I bring her home. And we do some really great things, Tommy. Because it wasn't about me. This dog was going to change people's view of pit bulls. 
this dog was going to go to Alzheimer's and give comfort to people. The dog was going to take me to college and teach journalism class to a bunch of students that had me come in and tell them about the story of Star. She was going to make me a, a person that would speak in front of the United States Humane Society to talk about animal advocacy. She was going to make me a co-founder of a nonprofit that rescues dogs. She was going to put me on a platform that I could do things that I would have never done if it wasn't for this dog. You see, if it wasn't for this dog, I couldn't even write more than a sentence or two because you'd realize I was a dummy and didn't go to school. That's changed. This dog has allowed me to pontificate the truth because all the media came at me and I had to only tell the truth. I couldn't tell my version of what I wanted to happen or what I, I just laid it out there. So the dog took me to college. The dog taught me how to write. The dog taught me from being a human doing to a human being. The dog taught me with her injuries, the beautiful creature she was in, side of her. And I saw the people are not judgmental. You know, you get to a certain point in your life you only want clean, neat things around you. You got nice clothes. Your car is spotless. You want to... No. Packages come in all different shapes and sizes, and sometimes they're not attractive. Star didn't look attractive, but people looked past that, and they saw the gold inside of her, that she had a heart. She found people that were suffering from cancer that didn't even tell people they had a diagnosis and sat next to them. She was next to a police officer that was paralyzed from an accident in Nebraska and wouldn't leave his side in an Alzheimer's walk, sitting next to people with cancer. She had a federal judge go down and ask if he could hug her because he was losing a family member to somebody with Alzheimer's. Well, you know, they, they, they see Star like that and what she's been through, and then somebody else, a human being, it doesn't matter. You know, they're going through something. They can relate. Yes. Because other humans, you know, do they really care? No. Nine to- 99.9% of the time, they don't care. They'll tell you they care, but they don't care. You know, but when somebody's going through something, there's nothing like a dog. And then you add in an injured dog that survived a miracle survival, right? Charles? Yes. I mean, it's beyond miracle. Beyond miracle. And then you find her. And why do you call her, uh, why do you say that you called her Tyrannosaurus Rex? Well, because some of the public, you know, because it was anti-pitbull people. So some uh, people some people say, hey, you know, this is Tyrannosaurus. They said, you're nuts, guy. You're nuts. The dog is a, a dangerous dog. Look, the dog is a huge deal. Now, Tommy, I have the dog. I rescue her in April. There are people that are smart that are tracking. Nebraskans are not opinionated outwardly. They're quiet. They think. They're thinkers. They keep rocks in their pockets. New Yorkers blurt out everything they need to say. The Nebraska guy keeps a few rocks in his pocket. Finally, on a walk, a guy that knows me, that's a big customer of my trash business, says to me, hey, look, what's the story, Charlie? You got a dog. I said, yeah, I adopted her from back east. Do you know the history of her? No, I have no idea what happened to her. He goes, wait a minute. You adopted a dog, missing an eye. Her skull's like this, and you know nothing about her? No, I don't. He took that information and waited. He saw me a few months later. He said, Charlie, I, I knew this guy builds on stuff. He's like I am. He's a thinker, and he's real critical on certain things. He says, look, I'm going to ask you this. I'm a YouTube guy. He goes, I saw a brown and white dog get shot by the NYPD. It looks just like your dog. Is this the dog? And I said, yes, Rob, it is the dog. And he hugged me. 
And that was the first thing, because I was scared. See, they had me scared if I told anybody about this dog living in Nebraska that they might say, we don't want this dog. There might be a petition. They might, they, take, might take her from you. Take right? her from me. So what I did, Tommy, is I knew without the media, I'd be a dead man if it got out that this dog was my dog. So I didn't even tell Jen. I wrote an email to the Gothamist in September of 2014, I believe it was. Yes, September 2014. And I said, I have Star of the New York Pitbull. And they went nuts, buddy. They said, we want a picture of proof of this. And I sent them a picture. And Yankis, writer for the Gothamist, gets a hold of me. And he says, you're kidding me. You got this dog. I said, I got this dog. And I gave him the story. And he put out a story, Nebraska Man Adopts Dog Shot by NYPD. And from that, PIX puts it on the news. And not only do they put it on the news, they make it one of their top stories of yeah, 2014. It was the top 10 story. Top five or three. I, I, I'm saying like it was in the top 10 stories yeah. in 2014. And then all, all kinds of stuff. 2013, uh, or March 13, 2017, the Humane Society of the United States invited Star to Nebraska Humane Lobby Day at the Marriott Hotel. Yeah. That had to be big. Uh, you know, going back August fifteenth, the nonprofit organization, the Star Project was formed in Star's honor. Yes, I mean all kinds of stuff. It's uh, a lot. It's, Tommy, it's a lot yeah. of stuff. So, but it should be noted, you know, and you had people in your family with Alzheimer's, right? Yes, and Jen, you took yep. Star around to a lot of uh, Alzheimer's yep. patients that the had walks issues. and everything, and it, it was a big deal. So, Tommy, on this deal now, it goes out that I have this dog now, and it goes big. I don't realize how big it's going to go. It's going to go in everything. She's going to be a Dogster magazine. I'm going to be on TV in Nebraska. There's a lot of stuff that's going to go on. But what happens is, the biggest thing that happens in 2018, where I got the awakening in the, at, the, at the monastery, that communications director, Cynthia, gets a hold of me and she says to me, you're going to come up and tell your story. You've been sober for 25 years now. You need to tell the board of directors how this worked for you. You need to tell the staff that they're helping the staff and they're helping the people that come, the thousands of men that come through here, and then you're going to talk to all the residents. So I said, okay. That's what I need to do. That's service work. And she says, are you listening? I said, yeah. She says, you, it's on one condition. You, have, you must bring Star with you. <laughs> so now I bring Star up to the place that I got my spiritual awakening. That's awesome. And I talk As you should have done. As I should have done. Yeah. And then, of course, the Franciscan monks, I mean, they're un unbelievable. They are the backbone that keeps uh, everything going. I mean, you never hear about these guys on any scandals or anything. They wind up eating with her. We all eat on the same trays, the same food, and we do that. <laughs> That's cool. So, so, Tommy, with all this that happened, it's 2018 now. My father dies. Sorry to hear that, regardless. Yeah, he dies. His son, that he could never get along with, realized that the hospital made a boo-boo and they gave him a deadly fentanyl dose, and they killed him. Oh. Yeah, so my dad dies. Wow. And I never get to talk to him again. Now, could you, can't you sue for that? Yeah, well, that's, that's a whole, a whole other, other yeah, story. Yeah, that's we'll a whole other, that's, that's episode two. We got another yeah, episode yeah. now. I mean, <laughs> people die, you, you gotta, it's just ugly, man. It's ugly stuff when you gotta do that. But you, so the Go thing ahead. is, he dies. I never got to see him when he was in a hospital because my mother didn't think he was that ill. 
and he went from just having a little bit of heat exhaustion to dying in hospital. Well, they killed him. They killed him with the fent- and then they didn't admit what it is. It's the fent- we're not stupid, Tommy. We we asked for what drugs they gave him, and we got a list of what drugs, and then we order a private autopsy, which they didn't want to, and then we compare we compare our notes of what drugs they gave him, and then there's fentanyl. So, it is what it is. So, I now have to do something. I got to make something good out of something bad. I've got to chronicleize this life and put this to, to, together. So I decided to write a book. And in 2018, I tell Jen, I said, me and me and Star are going downstairs. We're going to stay out of the public for a while, at, 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 at doing events, and we're going to just hang out. And we're going to drink coffee. I'm going to drink coffee and write this manuscript, 102,000 words. Well. I decide to make my manuscript very accurate. So I go to newspapers.com, I put in my name, and I see some stuff that just had blew me away. And it explained everything in my past, why my father was a monster. I mean, the guy went away at 24 for the attempted murder of a New York City cop. It came in. So what, you, so what you're saying is you grew up not knowing any of this. No, I didn't know the specifics. I didn't know the So specific. you didn't know why your life was a turmoil? Didn't know it. You didn't know why you were being treated the way you were, neglected the way you were, and all the formation of your youth is now, in 2018, coming full circle. Coming full circle. So all that time, you really didn't know he was a gangster? I had no... Tommy, all my father would really? do... He told me he was in a newspaper one time. He said he made different page page of paper. But my father always blamed somebody else for being a gangster in a concrete company. <laughs> I, I I'd say to him, I'd say to him, them guys don't look. He goes, uh, he goes, they're mafia. He goes, them guys are mafia. I goes, okay. And then I realized there was, I never asked for no favors from these guys. I just didn't want. I grew up with some powerful people on, in the same town, America. If you Wikipedia, America, there's a lot of people. Even Mario Puzo, the guy that uh, was the Godfather, put it together. He was a, he was in. The, in that town so my father one time when I when I needed a job with the union I mean it was a phone call and I was working that quickly did you know his father or know of his father I didn't no no so Tommy I I, I get this information and I'm startled and you know I I go start investigating who this guy Joseph and Brigley is and he was wanted by the FBI in 1980. He was running a $100 million synthetic heroin ring. The FBI was looking for him, and, and, and he was part of the French Connection. And I thought, without having any more information, it all made sense. Yeah. I said, so I looked over at Star. I said, so you, you took me to college. You taught me how to write. I'm writing a book. You explained why my father was so violent and why I didn't have a childhood, and you gave that to me. And you made me more of what I wasn't and that is a human being I think you needed her more than she needed you man oh my god Tommy and the only thing I ever said to her out of ego when I got her and we were driving home I said Star there was nobody on this planet that could have got you the way I got you and she kind of you know smiled so all that stuff happened Tommy meanwhile she got you she got me she got you so so we, we, we write the book children's book Jen finally does something wonderful I'm a star, she, I'm a star. She, she said when Star died hold that, that there is you know hold that up to the camera uh, Charlie yes out. <clears throat> hold it up right there it's called I'm a star now tell us what's in that uh, Charlie okay what this is it the message for children is this Star looked different she was injured she wasn't attractive but what was in her was incredible and the message she conveys to people is that no matter what they look like, they still have a message, and they're still good, and nobody is junk. And this dog, with all her deformities, 
made people happy. And that is the message in this book for children. Like the land of mis- misfits, right? Yes. Right? Yes. So well, it, it's like, it's like you know, abominable, I, well, if you're, snowman you know, maybe you, maybe you lost an arm as a kid or yeah. a leg as a kid, and now you're 18 and you're getting made fun of in yeah, here's, school. Here's, here's an animal that gave more, you know, gave more love. Or, or a 10-year-old kid yes. that, that is growing up, you know, and has some type of dysfunction, you know. Can yes. relate to that extremely. She did a wonderful job with it. She did an incredible job with this. Yeah. Um so that went on. So this dog did all this stuff. Can you pull up uh, tab two and tab three? Yeah. So while, while that's getting pulled up, so you write that book. Yes. Okay. And Jen writes the, the children's book. Because, yeah, cause it, and, you, but you're speaking. Yeah. While she's writing. Okay. And then keep going. And then I write, then I decide to write. Um, right, right here it is. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you get the paperback on Amazon. I'm a star. Yes. And then there's also another site you have. Go to the next tab. And there's also a ch- on, on Amazon and both websites. There's also a children's coloring book. Yeah. Okay. Now, right here, explain this, Charlie. It just basically gives you a day in the star's life, and just gives you uh, a little outside bit of what the book is about, and it just gives you her journey through New York City. I'm a star. Follow Star, a kind and lovable pump on her pup on her adventures throughout New York City. Will Star be able to make new friends despite looking differently than other dogs? That's cool. And she really does it. That's cool. And and you know, so you can get a coloring book for for kids, and you yep. get uh, what? So the one's the coloring book, and then one's like the readable. Yes, one's okay. the re- and I think that you know, not that I want to oversell it. I think Jen is putting. 50% of all profits to the nonprofit to help other dogs. That's it great. was never done for money. It was done to help other dogs. And that's and so you can get it on Amazon or uh, amastarbook.com which yes. will all be in the description. And then you got this book here too. As yes, well. that's my book after okay. 3 years. This one. Well, after 3 years and 102,000 words and some edits and some edits and some edits. <laughs> I you know have, that, right Mike? I think he's still editing. Yeah, <laughs> I have uh, I have a book that takes you from day one, which we talked about at the office, and takes you back into my life and takes you through it and to the miracle of star. And for those that are suffering out there again through addiction and they're hopeless, I'm telling you something, believe in a miracle. Because if you don't believe in one, one ain't gonna happen. I believed in a miracle. I will always be grateful for the Daily Mail. Nebraska man believes in miracle. I believe star lived and she did live and I wound up getting the life that I always should have had, and I'm very grateful for that. And now tell me what uh, David Hoffman had told you, the filmmaker. Yes. He was willing to, and he's been a filmmaker since the 60s. So he got a hold of me, and he said, look, I'm tired of reading these headlines and feel-good headlines. He goes, I want to do an interview documentary with you. He says, but I want to ask you, why? Why did you rescue this dog? These headlines didn't fool me, buddy. I want to get and ask you why it was so important that this dog would live. David Hoffman's pretty big. He's a big. He's deal. a big deal. He's a big deal. So, he, did you have the? Do you have the interview? Yes, it's uh, it's a one. It's um, the luckiest dog that ever lived came back to life to save man. That's cool. The luckiest dog that ever lived came back to life to save man. And that's really what happened. The dog yeah. was lucky as can be. I mean, how many dogs save a, gun, a gunshot wound point blank to the head? I mean, damn, I mean, that's insane. That's and, insane. And, and and you and know, then you saves know, his ass. You know something. And that picture up on the right was taken in August of uh, 2020. And Hoffman wanted a few pictures of us hanging out in the backyard, and Jen took that picture. And that was Star. She's smirking, but she's looking away from me. 
I'm looking down at her, and she's looking away from me. Um, the picture in the left on the 14th and 2nd, the book uh, title, that was for Puppy Up. That was a cancer walk we took Star on back in the day, probably oh, back in cool. 13 or 14. The door, the door, picture to the bottom right is Dogster Magazine. Uh, no, that was the Lincoln Journal Star took that picture, and it wound up in a lot of places. The picture of her sitting as I'm talking to the United States Humane Society. Um, yeah, sorry, I couldn't fit you in there. With yeah, that's all right. Uh, I thought good, the one on top was better. But, but <laughs> let me ask something, Tommy. People hire a PR person. Yeah. Like, I mean, this dog, this dog did a lot for me. I wanted a picture with the slippers. I want that. And the I want that picture. <laughs> you know, Tommy. Here's the other thing. Look, the dog came full circle. Yeah. The dog now is in the police magazine. This edition, of the police magazine, the blue isn't magazine. Isn't that amazing? So the dog has come full circle, and here's the other thing. I can't tell you how many police officers that have come out that are really dog people. And I think that what people want, and this is an important part of this message, we want 100% from our lawyer, we want 100% from our dentist, we want 100% for our surgeries, and they don't are. People are practicing medicine. There's a lot of failures, a lot of success, a lot of failures. But the police are never allowed to make a mistake. And that's not life, okay? I can't even go to a restaurant and get an order right. But that's life. We're human beings, not human doings, and we're fallible. The police get 600,000. There's 600,000 police approximately. There's endless calls. We're going to hear about a story like Stora, but there's a lot of cops that took that small amount of money they get paid every week to do that job that a lot of people don't want to do and help dogs. So I want people to come away from her story to be positive and spiritual and look at the police. If you, if you don't like them currently, they saved my butt. The guy sitting to the right of me, Dowd, Officer Dowd, that gave the NYTD a black eye. I got to tell you something. I, I, we all know what he did. What is he doing now? What is he doing moving forward? Okay? So we are America. We are the America of second second chances, third chances, fourth chances. And everybody deserves another chance. And um, I can't hold any anger towards the police of shooting star. They saved my life, believe it or not. Now, how do you feel about it being all over YouTube. I, I understand it helped, you know, uh, publicly-wise. Yes. But how do you feel about that, the situation that happened being all over YouTube, as gruesome as it yeah. was? Now that now that she she's your dog now, yes. at this particular time, yes. now it's all over YouTube. Yes. I understand it's getting your publicity and, and it's getting it out there and whatever, but... Emotionally, how did you feel that there's seven thousand clips of this? Well, the thing YouTube? is, I, early on, Tommy, I spent a lot of time up all night answering everybody. But here's what I learned: you could answer all these people, or you could just do what you do and subscribe to the people that love her. She turned everybody's opinion. Those people don't even like her. Sometimes they make excuses for me. I've dealt with people that are anti-pitbull that have seen this. They said to me, "Well, Star was different," you know. We can't win everybody over. And think about this, Tommy. If nobody, if you have no critics in your life, you're not doing anything. Star is going to have some critics. But at the end of the day, the critics are the minority and the majority are her fans. No, I understand that. But I, I meant when you got her and now she's yours. Oh. And now on YouTube, there's videos all over the place of her getting shot. Yes. How do you feel about that? It used to get me mad. Yeah. He used to get me really, really mad, Tommy. And I used to tr and I used to answer this. And I'm pretty good at verbal kung fu. I mean, look, you know, and I used to answer a lot of these people. And 
answer them with an account they didn't know because once I got her, I made a star dog account. But prior to that, I just had a benign looking account and I just would respond to the messages and say, no, that's not true. See, what they did on YouTube was they took, uh, they took about a 10 minute video and they chopped yeah. it down to a small amount and made the dog in slow motion going towards the office. Oh, there, there, there's a hundred of them. Yes. If you go in there, well, there's a bunch that are, are 10 minutes long. Yes. They're 10 minutes long, and nothing happens for the first six. Yes. But I guess they they put the whole 10 minutes up to get more watch time. Yeah. You know, yeah. More ads. <laughs> well, no, yeah. Yeah. Tommy, what we can do, what we can do, and this is what i got to realize, I cannot focus on the detractors. Um Here's how we know we came full circle. She's in a police magazine. So any of those people that didn't think this dog had any merit, that were pro-police on this, the police did the right thing. Well, the police, you know what? The police are behind her now, too. And when we had the uh, Star Project rescue, uh, our first dog was to a police officer. So Jen and me pull a dog from a shelter. It's going to be euthanized. It's our first dog that we're going to adopt out. And Jen goes over the background of each person to make a good fit. Well, happened to be a Lincoln police officer, Nebraska police officer. And that really says a lot right there. So Star saved that dog. She saved all the dogs in our house. There was a media thing saving a dog in the name of Star. A lot of dogs got saved. And they continually get saved through my advocacy, Jen's advocacy, the children's book, and other things because... We cannot become to the point where we're so judgmental. I mean, we've gotten to a point where we are judging without facts. So the phone rings one day, about three months ago now, maybe four, and it's Ted, and he knows Ted. And he tells me, this is a little bit heavy, he tells me, I haven't heard from Charlie. He says, have you? Now, Charlie and I communicated off and on intermittently for the yeah. last two, three years. And with COVID, people have been avoiding each other. Yes. And I said, no, I, I haven't heard from Ted uh, recently. No, I, Charlie. Ha- I haven't heard from Charlie recently. Ted and I going back and forth. And Ted, the guy that found him in his slippers <laughs> on the railroad track, says to me, I'm concerned. So I had sent a message out to Charlie. He answered it back, boilerplate, whatever like that. And I said, okay, well, you know, Ted says to me. Again. Ted again says to me, something's not right. I'm worried. A month goes by, and I get a message from, and he mentioned it, this police magazine people send me a message inviting me to this event. Now, I don't get invited to many police. <laughs> I don't get yeah. invited to yeah. many. Poli- I don't know why. <laughs> but I don't get invited to many pro police events. Well, this happens. Just watch uh, uh, MSCS Media video uh, 136. <laughs> Just kidding. There's a lot of. Anyway, so I get invited to this uh, um, mental health retreat. Mental health retreat. Like, what do they think? I'm, 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 first of all, I'm not a police officer anymore. Second of all, I'm not crazy. So Char- what, Charlie, so why I, I, bet, they, I bet you anyone he so, thought it was for him. So why are they inviting me? So I go, you know what? Charlie's an ex-cop. He's in law enforcement. Maybe he's interested in going. And if he says yes, I, which I hope he doesn't, then I, if he says yes, I'll go. If he says no, I'll feel as though I did my part. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Right? I just exposed somebody else. And these people want me there to go. I don't want to go. Because I'm like, who am I going to meet? Uh, Clark. The, 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 yes, the, David Clark. David Clark, the sheriff. Yes. I, I find it interesting to say hello to him. But hey, who's <laughs> who's the bigger, who's got the bigger hat in the room here? I mean, you, you're the sheriff. Me, I'm the, I'm the corrupt cop. Who's selling more of what, right? So anyway, I'm like, you know. But, but I was sober and have been sober for quite some time. And it would be a nice, and the last time I spoke to these people, they were very helpful to me. They put me in the Blue Magazine. I had a nice write-up in there. It was it was middle of the road. They weren't championing my story. I'm sure they, they, they were weren't. Just, they were just. But at least they were reasonable, they were, right? Yeah, they were reasonable. So I, so I figured, let's send Charlie this invite. Now, I didn't read the whole thing through, that it was for people that were sort of really out there. I thought it was just like, I thought it was a vacation for guys that were stressed. No, this was a. Deep down, yes. Health retreat. Deep. Charlie hits me back in three seconds. Yes, I'm going. I mean, wait a minute. Oh no! Now I gotta <laughs> drive from Long Island to Northern New Jersey, and I'm gonna use the F word right now. I wanted to fucking kill myself for doing this. <laughs> so I get there. I look at Charlie. He looks at me. We meet. We get there. He looks. He says, "You going?" I go, "Yeah, I'm going. Of course. If I say I'm doing something, count on it. Of course, I'm going. God damn it, I want." <laughs> And I get there, I look at Charlie, he looks at me, and he goes, thank you. I'm like, for what? I look shell-shocked. He's like, he's like this. I go, for what? I go, he goes, I was up on, I said, well, you were up on that mountain for a while there, because Charlie had a big mountain play. I said, it could be, he goes, I haven't been out since COVID. I went, yeah. Really? He goes, I said, I've been in Florida 10 times since COVID. I, he hasn't left his house since COVID. And the passing of Star. Star. So... I don't realize that he's really still, some of his shit's still percolating. Percolating. And fortunately for him, not for, I, I'm crazy. And fortunately for Charlie, these people come along and they, and they do this great story about himself, the star, and then the podcast. Yes. The, so a lot of good things happen. So Mike brings me to this. And I'm hurting so bad because Star died on February 19th at 325. Sorry. Cancer. What kind of cancer was she it? had transitional cell carcinoma. Oh. And she got diagnosed, but then she came, she was on the couch. That one picture you had of her on the couch, she got off the couch, and we, we did some wonderful things, Tommy. I got the diagnosis for her back in November. She came out of it, and I did a bucket list. We went to the old 14th and 2nd. She met a whole bunch of New Yorkers. I took her to Freedom Tower. Um, some NYPD cops hugged her uh, down at the tower. Um, we did some things. Um, and... She dies. And she dies unexpectedly because she was doing really good. I had her out the day before. And she died in my arms. She gasped three times. And then she died. And Jen was there with me. Because I was going to give her a bath, Tommy. Tommy, she had been sick. And then I said to her, Jen, I said, you know, I'm going to give Star a bath now. I think we're, we're out of this deal. So I pick her up. And I, and I was going upstairs and put her in the bathtub, the sunken bathtub, to give her a good bath. And for some reason, I sat down with her, and she was really comfortable in my arms, and she gasped three times, and she died. And it was very awkward. Her mouth was open. So I put her down on the side on a blanket, and I, I'm trained in CPR, first aid. I, I, I know when there's no pulse. She was gone. And I called. After, I, I cried for half an hour next to her, and I called up David, the guy that was my champion to get her. I said, she died. She died. I couldn't even get it. He goes, Charlie, are you okay? I said, she died. She died. He says, well, you're going to have to bring her here. We'll perform the um, service for her, Will. 
get ashes to you. We'll cremate her. But I couldn't get off the mountain, Tommy. We, I got a, a, at the time I had a TRD Pro. It was supposed to get off. It's not, I couldn't get off the mountain. There's too much snow. So I had a dog with me for a week. Oof. Okay, so I have a dog. Oof. But here's what happened, Tommy. So she, she looked awkward. And so I tell Jen, I said, Jen, <clears throat> I said, look, um, I want you to take a picture of me with my dog. She's gone now. She goes, honey, she looks terrible. I said, no, you're going to do it. Tommy, this air came out of her lungs and a smile came to her face. She died in peace, Char. She died in peace. She came in. Tommy, what's gone on since she's died was dogs and nighttime bark. I, I think her spirits are not, I, I'm not again I'm not a guy I think I think she is still with me but here's what happened I didn't know how to go forward Tom and I set into depression man and how not, long I'm uh, six seven months I'm not a suicidal guy but I'm a smart enough guy to know that you you can die by not taking care of yourself by being sad and this and that so I didn't answer my phone no more and I just sat there sat there and I just didn't do anything and then so Mike Mike calls me and I go to the mental health retreat and I listen to police officers talk about their wits end and I'm saying thank God I can talk to these guys they're not going to judge me over this dog and I do a podcast with them I do a podcast and I start to talk about the stuff that was bothering me the unpacking the suffering Uh, the podcast is actually a suffering podcast so it all worked out and here I am in front of you today the book is on uh, going forward with the children and I need to go forward now, Mike, when you went to this and you saw him, how, how bad did he look? Well, <clears throat> well, he had a two-hour drive, which he didn't look bad uh, recovering from that. But um, it was more what he said, because he actually looked great. You know, Charlie, he keeps himself well. Well, I'm asking that because for yeah. six months, you know, yeah. you were, you know, No, no, yeah, but I hadn't seen him for, a, I saw him, he was 240 pounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw him one time after at a meeting, yeah. which he was about similar to where he is now. And in fact, he uh, had a little more color at that time when I saw him. So he looked good, and, and when I saw him again, he looked good. So and, and Charlie spends a lot of time taking care of himself that that way. So his looks were good, but his words to me were like, "Oh my God, I, like he's, he's like he's lost, like he's lost." And, and, and I'm saying, "Thank I, I I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave in like an hour. Yes, I wanted to leave, and I even said something to you. I'm going to leave. And then I realized." I need to stay right here, and I need to keep an eye on him. Yeah. I hate to say this because this is the way I felt. I need to stay here for Charlie now, and that get, that really made me feel good. Well, sometimes when you take care of other people, it keeps you it together made me too, feel right? Good. Yeah. Now, why did you? And wanna... I didn't want to be part of the show, right, Charlie? I didn't want to. They yeah. wanted me to talk. I said no. Why, I didn't wanna... But why did you want to leave? I'm still uncomfortable around law enforcement and ex-law enforcement because of the nature of, of what I did okay, I understand. for the badge. So yeah. I, I wanted people to be able to say, hey, Dowd showed up. Nah, they can have an opinion about me or not. You know that, but but the fact that I showed up and brought Charlie, who's legitimately a retired law enforcement officer, right? You don't want to ruin him. I, I didn't want to, and I had another uh, cop with me, a Nassau County cop, Mike, who was a yeah. uh, was a successful yeah. cop. Uh, they came with me, so it felt, it felt nice that way. But after about an hour, I wanted to go. But then when I heard some of the words that Charlie was saying to me, I began to stick around longer and longer, really, because I wanted to hear what the what the what they were offering people in their shares. And then while that was going on, Dan, Dan, the, the lead guy of the place, came over to me several times and said, "You got to." I said, "Dan, it's not about me. You know, just, I'm very gregarious and pretty easy to speak." But I said, "This isn't about me. It's just about these people." He said, "But yeah, but they can get something from your story here." 
So uh, and then Charlie, you, you heard you heard. Did you get? Did you speak to? No, I didn't. I, I, okay. I no, I didn't. I listened to you guys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I spoke about three four minutes, which is hard for me to shut down. In, 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 yeah, right. You know, yeah, I can do twenty minutes. Now, now, were you worried about Charlie? Uh, at yes. this time, at yes, this particular right. yes, time, in fact, even more so afterward, we, her, Charlie and I began to stay in touch, and uh, the Suffering Podcast. I, I don't know if I encouraged you, or they they spoke with you about it, but I and I think I might have encouraged them to have him on because knowing that, see, in total, as we look back at people that come in our life and our path, knowing what Charlie, I I knew the surface. Of uh, or some of the under, underpinning of Charlie, but I didn't know enough about Charlie. I've learned so much about Charlie in the last week, even the last twenty four hours. The unpacking. He, he uses the word unpacking. You're so clinical, Charlie. Yeah. I mean, you're dumping your shit. You know. I mean, you're you're unloading your your afterbirth. All, all, all the nonsense that you lived with and you tried to get that rid you of held in. that you've yeah. hold, held in. And t- to me, I really haven't held a lot in in my life. You know. I, I haven't, you know. So I live off the cuff. I live off the off the end of my sleeve. Generally, generally, except for some of the intimate moments in my life, you're getting everything right off my sleeve. But when I met Charlie, and I, I learned how. I mean, when I, his first podcast, he felt he, he might be going back to jail. I mean, he was like doing a jail interview in his first podcast. When I heard the podcast, I didn't know the the breadth and the and the depth to his story. But I said, that's not real. And I think, uh, and I'm, I, I think I've been trying to help him. But me too. Something about me getting him to do what's good for him. I, I, maybe it's part of my mission. I, I don't know. But that's, I, I really feel that. So in other words, you want to be in his movie. I, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Tommy. I like him to be in my movie. Yeah. And he'd play me. But no, but <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know what it is? You know, some of us, we, we, I lived a double life for quite a long time, okay? I was a cop and I was a robber at the same mm-hmm. time for a long time and then I had to be this big tough guy in prison when, I, when, I, when I'm a soft touch I'm a soft heart you know I'm the guy who gives that guy the last three dollars even though I don't want you at my window I don't want to see you at my window please 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 you know and then I hit the button I go here you know and I, and I hand you the money you know so and I, I know every many of us have that in us and to see the the, the rigidness and the uh, you know and to, the more I learned, the, the more angry I, I've gotten with Charlie. Yes. I've, <laughs> I've, the more angry. Because, Charlie, you got to get rid of this shit. Because, excuse my language, you know, PG station. you got to get rid of some. <laughs> you got to get rid of some of this shit because it'll only. It, it, it eats you up inside. And I, I, I don't want. If I know you and I know you're hurting, that's what I, I try to do. I try to make it okay. Because it was not easy for me to say what I, what I did my whole life. You're almost, I've noticed this with you, Mike. You're almost attracted to that, maybe to make up for some of the bad things you did in the I, past. Uh, but it, it seems to me, as I get to know you, and you know, you know, so he seems to gravitate toward people that might need a little bit of a kick. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's something about me. <clears throat> no, that's a good I thing. Find, but that's a good thing. I find that's that. A, it, that's a but, good thing. But sometimes I overexpose myself. Wow, that's just your personality. That's, that's gonna never going to change. It's going to happen. Yeah. Now, were you surprised that he showed up? With the mental health retreat? Yeah. yeah listen, this was... No, I know, I know. Yeah. like, he, he yeah. called you or whatever, What's but you chance? were surprised yeah. that he actually yeah. came? What's the chance of this happening? <laughs> and, and Tommy, I didn't know how to go forward. I did yeah. not. When the law... Well, the hit, so, so I'm going to put you in a direction. Jen says, why are you going? Yeah, my Jen said, well, why would you... This the person he lived with, 15 she, years. She goes to me, she goes to me, why would you go to a, a mental health retreat? She goes, the Department of Corrections never messed with you. Yeah. Because well, how are you going to talk about the stuff you saw? <laughs> I mean, what do you, who do you talk... Listen, uh, every... 
department has their own. The police have their own humor. The Department of Corrections, the unsung heroes, they see a lot of stuff. They've got to have some sense of humor in their own way. How do you cope with that? Right. So, you know, and, and I've seen some stuff in my life. I mean, remember I had the trash business. I remember yeah. uh, a correctional officer going home and shooting himself. And then I, I'm the guy, my trash company's the guy to take the couch out. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've seen some dark stuff. And this dog has given me light. And that's where I want to hang out. And I just, here's the thing, Tommy. It would have never been long enough. I was living the best life with her. Just going through a drive-thru, having people, hey, star, and all this stuff went on. And we went places. And just to see her so happy. It was really a new lease for her and definitely the first time. Well, now it's your job to keep that legacy living on. So I got three more questions for you, and then I'll let you get out of here. One... You know, we talked last night and how you got to look at things in a, a different reality. Yes. You know, you tried acid, you did acid, and yes. that took you out of this reality, you had said, and you saw things like the people around you and everything else in a different way, and that also helped you change and become a better person and everything else. It's crazy. It's Not that you're dead. pushing acid no. or anything no, like no, that. I'm just no. saying. Oh, I, mate, you got a tab laying around? You? <laughs> I've, been but, t- I've been told I should try it. I don't know what that means. <laughs> No. So so explain to me like you did when we were talking yesterday about how that uh, changed the way you look at things. Well, the thing is, acid's a crazy drug because for some people, they go on a bad trip and they lose their minds. If somebody had it and they gave it to me, and it's just a piece of paper you put on your tongue. You didn't, I didn't even think it was a big thing, like a miniature stamp. And it gave me complete clarity of how I was destroying my life. I mean, it gave me insight that I, it was scary the insight it gave me. So that was, you know, an experience I had, and I didn't want to do that again because it was too painful to look at myself with no veneer. But you needed to do that. I, to, it was you, part of my story. You kind of needed it in a yeah, way. It was part of my story. It happened. And then one of the great things that, that's pretty amazing is you originally tried to fast, and you couldn't do it. Right. Then you tried again, Yes. and you were able to. And for the last two years, you've been fasting. A little bit longer than that now. A little bit longer yeah, than that. Yeah, about 800 and... Uh, about 825 days of, in, uh, of direct. 825. <laughs> and you yeah. eat once a day. I eat once a day. And you've lost over 71 pounds. 71 pounds to be exact. But it's not only the 71 pounds is how I feel. I, I was a garbage pail, a Pac-Man. I, I would just eat all day. And if I'm spiking my insulin all day and I've got food in my mouth, I'm not living. So for me, and I'm not an advocate to tell anybody how to live their life, but this works for me. I can't do six small meals a day because what you're going to do is going to get the lion in me that wants to eat. When I break bread, I want to eat. So with one hour um, meal, and Mike, Mike and oh, Tara seen last we, night. He ate about six six people's. I had I had I had, a, I had a multi-course meal last <laughs> night, which was all healthy stuff. But within that <laughs> confine of an hour, I eat my meal. I eat my meal, and I'm done. So I'm living my life in a fast. I had to tell Charlie they're not they're not no. taking your dish. No. You. no, I was like that. You your, <laughs> no, I did show. I did show. I did show. He he was getting there. Yeah. he was uh, getting. I do take my food seriously. He was when, I do eat. when I do eat the once you yeah. know I do once a day he and was getting, I do. Listen eat. to me. I have a dog Guido. <laughs> yeah. When when I when when uh, we feed him, he's like a rocket. I, he's yeah. a, he's a show dog. Just like he's just ro- like Charlie. Yeah. He, he can. <laughs> this dog can. I mean, inhale a bowl in three seconds. Right. Yeah, he, Guido. He, he eats it so fast that it gets stuck up his nose. And I mean, I he's just to, like a nut. I have so, to pat his back to get So I, I understand. I understand. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I do that. I do uh, cardio <laughs> four or five days a week. I like the spin bike. I like doing that for myself and stretch. 
I take zero meds, man. I take zero meds. I feel now at this point in my life, if I have pain that I need ibuprofen, I don't do it. I take cold showers. I take cold baths. The pool, the pool was open into November. I was swimming with 53-degree weather because I'm doing everything I can naturally to reduce inflammation, to keep my heart in good shape, and to live in a position of compassion because a lot of grace has been shown me, a lot of grace. And correct me if I'm wrong, and the, the cold shower and, and the fasting thing and some of the other things that you do, you had felt that that was a result of the acid of you looking from the outside in. Some of the things, I should well, say. Well, you know, I never forgot that acid trip, and this is a long time ago. I never forgot the experience I had with that. It just, it, it peeled back some layers of the onion that I had never seen, saw myself. You know, people don't really view themselves as we see them. You know, there there's a saying, there's the real you, there's the you that the public sees, there's the you that you see when you look in the mirror, and then there's the real you. And I got a glimpse of the real me one time, and I'll tell you what, I wanted to shut that door as quick as possible. So, Tommy, what I'm doing today is I'm facing myself. I don't care what anybody says about me, and they, they have a right to say something. See, in the old days, I might be, hey, that paint person doesn't like me. Well, I don't know. Maybe You know what? I, I could have offended you, my decorum, whatever. Today, I live a life of no fear. I live a life of not wondering or biting my nails or this and that. Tommy, a New York guy, and, and this is, don't get mad, New York guys. A lot of us New York guys at 230 pounds are scared to, to pick up the phone. Who's that on the other end of the phone? Here's another thing I noticed when I went to Nebraska. Nobody ever leaves their name. Everybody's anonymous. I learned in Nebraska, man, without saying your first and last name, you're a coward. This is my name. I'm making a complaint. This is my name. I'm saying something good. So between having the courage to leave my name, having the courage of not living in fear, I'm not trying to figure out the next move. See, I used to always try to figure out the next move. If I say this, I'm going to move this out of line. Everything I'm doing is bringing me clearer, a clearer picture of who this guy is and to meet myself. I don't want to die without knowing who I am. Now, now, have you seen a major change in Charlie since you've met him? Well, when I first met him, he was 240 pounds. <clears throat> so physically, he's changed quite a bit. And in the last three months that we've been communicating, he's peeling that onion back. And he's, mm -hmm. you know, he's making a big difference. And he's, and he's actually making me more aware of some of my own shortcomings. <laughs> but in, Yeah, in a good way. In a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and... and well, I'm look, if you can fast for two years straight, I'm trying I mean, to become tough. more of a compassionate. Ooh. Yeah, I'm trying to become more of a compassionate human being, even though I might not sound that to others at times. Uh, and and I'm doing the best I can on a daily basis. And and you know, we all we, listen. The, the lesson I get from from Charlie is uh, the ugly duckling dog is it, has got love. You know, to, to get, and, and you can learn to love it. You know, I, t I tell a story, Ben. I told you once before. The, the the Nigerian in prison told me how to use a screw gun. I wanted to kill him. Who do you to tell me from New York City how to use a screw gun? So anybody can teach. I mean, I I was born with a screw gun in my hand, and this guy was teaching me how to use a screw gun in a better way. And I'm, I did my own internal insecurities. I wanted it was prison. I wanted to kill him, so I had to temper myself and realize that anybody in this world can teach us a lesson. So. I got a bunch of work at the house. You can use a screw gun the right <laughs> okay. way. If you want. <laughs> yeah. So now let's let's give a, a tribute to Star, and then yeah. we'll end it with uh, you telling me what your future plans are and everything else. 
So go through the uh, slides and, and Charlie, just say a little something about each one. Okay. Uh, go to the thing there. Uh, keep going right there. Okay, we'll start here. Okay. So right here, Nebraska man saves Pip or Pitbull. Sorry. You going to pick one or are we going <laughs> to? Nebraska man saves Pitbull shot by NYPD. What's this, Life with Dogs? And then, Charlie, you say something about the rest of them as we go through them. Yep, so that's basically me coming out and telling the Gothamist and then the thing going in nine different directions. So Life with Dogs picked up the story, and that's about a little bit more after a year of having her um, secretly um, at my house. So not to confuse anybody, that's a picture of her when she had two eyes, obviously. So they they picked a a stock photo out of her... um, uh, that Google was pri- prior her to yeah. the incident. Okay, a short ahead. time prior. Okay, and go go ahead, Char. Okay, pit bull shot by New York police recovering, not ready for home yet. Um, this is the People magazine inquiring with the Mayor's Alliance as to what's going to happen with the dog. And uh, she's secretly at this point um, going to be heading down to Philadelphia and going away. This is shortly after the surgery uh, of her having her eye removed. Now, Mike, do you remember reading this stuff in the paper? Um, I remember. I don't read the paper anymore, but I remember hearing about it. Hearing about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about mm-hmm. it, and and you know we're all busy with our own lives. But like I remember, and I remember the scene of the shooting was being played somewhere, whether it was in a on, on online or on TV. I don't remember, but like PIX was playing it or something yeah. like that. So I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, and at the time, also I was. I remember hearing about it. I remember hearing about a dog being shot, but I didn't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which one. Okay, go to the next one. That was the ugly scene of her laying motionless. And uh, this was shortly after she was shot. This was, you know, a small time, what, 13 days. And they had to reverse course, making a speeding recovery. She did make a speedy recovery. I can't believe that dog survived. This was the initial headline that day that went out. Police shoot and kill lunging at people on Manhattan's east side. This is the headline. This is what I was seeing when I was believing she was alive. For, oh, something I forgot to mention, Charlie. So when I was reading through these, there was 25 officers at the scene. Not one of them went over to help the guy or the dog. Yeah. Not one. No. Nor did any of the people that were standing around. It, you know, I think that I would have. It, it was a horror scene. If I was there, if Mike was there, if you were there... I think that we can. I think that it was just so god awful what occurred, and and that people just repelled. They just didn't know what to do. If I was a cop at that scene, I would have ran, yeah, away. But I, I mean, as I would a, not have want to been. No, as, as, a, as a citizen, I would, want to, I'd be, I would want a citizen to look at me and say, "What are you doing? Oh, like, yeah. why are you doing nothing right now? Like, <clears throat> first of all, I don't know what to do for the dog, right? right. Secondly, this homeless guy and I." They probably knew him. I would, you, yeah. you might attest to that. Yeah. He's probably known for him and his dog. So the guys that showed up, oh, i got to get the hell out of here now. It was, a, it was a bad scene. Yeah, it, it was, was a bad, bad scene. So that's what, yeah, yeah. I, I know the cop's mentality at that scene. And Tom, I, I, mean, you as a, I mean as a person. As a human being. You have to, Tommy, how could you not? Tommy, this dog had such intellect, man. First of all, I mean, what does an average dog know? 200 words. This dog had, she knew stuff like there was no. She knew commands. She knew, every, but also she knew this, Tommy. I'd say to her. Let's go. She knew we're going to go take a bath and we're going to go give a talk. This dog literally smiled when I give talks. <laughs> so. well, you, well, you did rescue her. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Next one. This is just another scene from that ugly scene. Oh, okay. Yeah, no go ahead. This is another form of the... This is Ben Yankis. This is what we talked about. Mm-hmm. This is the Gothamist. 
how a Nebraska man rescued a dog shot by the NYPD. For people that want to know the intricacies of how I did it, they can look at this article. And that's G-O-T-H-A-M-I-S-T dot com. Okay, go to the next one. This is a really happy... Uh, we had formed, Jen had formed the... Um, that's a good picture. Star Project, and now the local newspaper of 300,000 people in Lincoln decided to come and do an interview at the house. Um, I love New York, so what I did was, in Nebraska, they make the, the signs for the roads, and that's a real sign that they were able to make for me. So I have a sign, so Star knew she was in New York or Brooklyn, and that was a real sign that they copied for the, the, the sign that would have been in New York, me growing up. Uh, going down the Southern State Parkway, always seeing that sign uh, on the Meadowbrook that always showed you uh, New York ahead east. So that was important to me to have that. Mike, you think we'll ever get a sign? Um, I think they have a few signs with my name on it that I don't really want. I don't really want them. <laughs> Go ahead. Next one. He was a, one of the greatest days. This, great. this uh, is uh, Westland University. Um, the professor, after Star had made a lot of news and knew that I was her owner she said look would you like to come to college and teach my journalism class that's cool i have a few requirements star has to be there and she doesn't have to be on any leash i want her to meet the class i want these future journalists you know it, it's amazing that uh, a dog that went through everything that she went through yeah can be around people calmly, calmly. and nicely yeah. and you, you know what i mean yeah. charlie i mean just like charlie he's still around people calmly well and the thing is that's a very good thing tommy you did because i rescue a lot of dogs and some dogs never get the isms or whatever happened to them gone star always kept her head up high like that and it was always very very happy <clears throat> and tommy here's something else about her she was really a celebrity Star gave you a little bit of tension when she met you, and then she turned it off. So basically, she, she knew the card. She knew the card. So don't, she, she yeah, smiled. Yeah. She yeah. give you, she give you a little perk, and then it was over. It was over. That's with just that. like so, me. Yeah, you get, like, like we want money. Yeah. You got yeah. a bone? Yeah. All right, see you. All right, gotta go. So that's that. <laughs> On to the next one. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Oh, this is a big day, Tom. This is that's a great picture. Okay, so what happened here was uh, Nebraska Television out in the in the they have a day show like uh, Good Morning, whatever. No, Good Morning, Nebraska. There's a two forty. <laughs> yeah. So there's uh, so they asked me to come on the show, and Star was never very affectionate. Let me tell you this, Tom. No. That wouldn't be her. Listen, yeah. she was she was she she, she didn't play the dog and pony show. Okay, mm. so for the cameras, <laughs> she would do that. But oh, that, she did it for the cameras. Yeah, she only did that for the cameras. Yeah. There was a tension. She was all playing. Like, that was not her she, usual yeah, demeanor. I used to always say to Oh, they didn't prop that. No. no. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought they propped that. No, they, they asked me some questions, and then she... That's <laughs> time. She said, oh, it's time. It's time. <laughs> it's time for the shoot. But that was not... She's giving me kisses there. That is not her normal demeanor. This freaking dog is like my kid. Yeah, she's <laughs> smart. She's a smart dog. No one yeah, smile. It, it, it plays you. It, it, it cries you. like it's like it's, all, it's, so, it's, so, it's so, having a tough time, and then the second you touch it, it's fine. So, Tommy... Uh, Andy Warhol's. Her. Her. Andy, I'll get killed. Andy, if I say it, it's yeah. not it. Her. her. Yeah. Her. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's fine. But um, you know, I thought being in Nebraska when I left New York, I was going to live a life of obscurity. And I always used to be the guy who said, "Andy Warhol, you're so wrong. We don't all get our 15 minutes of fame." I had a wild life in New York, and I'm in Nebraska, and I'm never going to have anything talked about. I had no idea this was coming. Uh, that's a great pick. Great pick. And that's when you were. That was before the fasting, I assume. Yes, <laughs> as Mike as Mike tried to slip that's in. That was that was eating. You know, you're six to seven. I'm capable of six, seven thousand calories a day. So go ahead. Go ahead. 
Um, this is just uh, it was a constant parade of media. This <laughs> like is an the, interviewing the dog. This yeah. is a media coming to our home uh, to talk about the dog she's rescuing, and she's loving it. Stars going along with the with the yeah. yeah the reporters. She's hamming it up. Yeah, she's hamming it up. She's hamming it up. And this is um, a police officer's sister who was on a plane came to visit out in Iowa. And this is a guy that was a Washington, D.C. guy. And she was coming out to visit some people in Iowa. And she found this magazine, and she couldn't believe the dog was in there. Oh, wow. That's a big deal. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. Go to the next one. Okay, here we are. I'm definitely beefing up here. I'm definitely over 241. <laughs> <laughs> it's not 240. You look better at 240. It's not 260. Yeah, I'm, I'm pushing some heavy numbers. Mike just no- killed you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm pushing some heavy numbers here. And, you know, it's amazing I can get up to those weights. So here's the deal. So Jen's really involved with the Alzheimer's, okay? And here's what happened. I decided to bring Star to the first meeting, to the first walk. And Jen knew about it. But once the media knew that she was there, they highlighted her over the walk. <laughs> so if you go to Channel 8, they say, hey, by the way, it's the it's the annual walk, but we have a very f- famous dog or whatever they said. And that was uh, Channel 8. And they said, you know, um, go ahead. Why don't you interview your dog? So it's Star, here's a dog, a New York City street dog. They got a tutu. John put a tutu on her. And she's going along with the, she's going along with us. And Tommy, she didn't like it, but she did it. Star loves that microphone and yeah. that camera. Yeah, she did. So she, there you go. Go ahead. Oh, uh, that's going back to the beginning. That's another shot. See, that's what I'm saying. When you go back there, go go to the next one. Yeah. Just real quick. Yeah. You see all those people just standing there? Like I yeah. see me personally, and I think Mike, I can speak for you as well, as a as a not as a cop, as a citizen. I don't think I could just stand there and look at that. It's hard. And nor would I walk it's away from awkward, it. It's an awkward position. And but I'm sure it would have been a situation with the police it's, trying to help yeah, out. But Tommy, let me say this to you. I think that we need that awaken look at that dog. Look, I mean, it's lights out. But it's like, what the yeah. what the hell? The dog's laying there. Nobody cares. The yeah. man's laying there. Nobody cares. They're just looking at it like, okay, can I get this video on my phone? There was a lot of police officers there. There was undercover cops there. There was a lot of cops there. But why the hell don't they pick the guy up? I, Help know, the dog. Like, you know, you know, Tommy, I got to tell you something. I, I, I've done a scene. It's a disgusting picture. I'm it's sorry. It's the scene. Yeah. You know, it's horrible. needs to be seen, but disgusting. It's a yeah. horrible position to be in. But, you know, here's the thing. Been there, not good. There's going to be people that always going to have opinions. Doesn't look good, doesn't feel good. I think for my own health, my spiritual health, yeah. I had to... I had to di- Listen, we got a saying in corrections. I don't know if they use it in police. We don't win every fight. We win the, the overall fights, but there are days we don't win, okay? We know when to disengage, okay? The yard is turning on us. We know to disengage. I had, as a young correctional officer... Um, an inmate would do something, and I wanted to run after him and get him. And the seasoned correctional officer said, no, we know where they live. We'll show up at the house later. This yard can turn on you. I had to do the same thing. I had to disengage. Yeah. And I knew my limit. And my job is not to be in, in an adversarial role with the largest police department in the country. Although um, it wasn't fear that had me caught. It was a spiritual health. And once I neutralized on this opinion, the situation really worked out the way it was supposed to. Well, you know, looking at it again, what the important thing is is that she lived, you found her, and she yes. lived the best life possible after this. Yes. Next one. No, it's all. It's over. Okay. Okay. Well, no, that's that's the that's one the one I wanted to end on because I oh. thought that was really. Th- this is her. Cute. This is yeah. this is her. So okay. So the Lincoln Journal star comes out, and now she's got some. Now she's got some dogs that have been rescued on her name. 
there's a lot of dogs, 11th hour, they're going to be euthanized. Pretty dogs. They're pretty. So they come out and they say to her, hey, look, we're going to come visit you, Star. She loved the entertainment, and she gave that bit. Now, Star was a very finicky eater. She didn't look like one there, Tommy. She did not like, you couldn't give her chicken, you couldn't give her meat. She loved peanut butter drizzled over crunchy broccoli, Tommy. Crunchy broccoli. That was her deal. Did he put peanut butter on her nose? So you uh, oh, she, like listen, no, no, no. Listen, <laughs> the thing was, she loved, she loved peanut butter. Show. But look, but look how happy that dog was. That, yeah, that was my, that was my kid, man. See? That was, you know what? That was not just my kid. That dog affected people. That dog, when she went to be cremated. She was missing hair because I was always taking hair off of her to send to children's parents that requested some hope. She was a lightning rod of hope. Beautiful. People that were sick wanted something. She, she changed the face of pit bulls. Oh. She changed the face and the belief of pit bulls in the, in the world. Really. That dog's a lifesaver. Yeah. That's, that, that's that what stars. Saved, star, star is a star for being a lifesaver. After you read everything. Uh, Tommy, and let me say this I would have never gone to a pit bull in yeah. my life until I have known about sure. stars. Me neither. Never. never. I agree with you. Tommy, and she was, let me tell you this too. She was a strong, strong dog. Don't let that jovial smile, because we rescued a lot of dogs. We've had dogs that don't have good manners, that got try to get a little feisty. She was the alpha dog. That dog was tough. She was calm. And she was like a Buddha. I know a woman like that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, it's been a, let me tell you something. The platform you've given me to tell this story, to have all the moving parts. Brother, this is the greatest thing I could do because I want to leave a legacy of hope for others. I appreciate you doing it on here. I'm happy to do yeah. it. I'm an animal lover. I like, anim- like I was telling you, I like animal- animals way better than people. A hundred times better than people. So... I'm honored to be the one that, you know, we talk about this with you and, and everything else. And so what are you going to do from now on to keep her legacy? I know you got the book, the kids book, which yeah. is great. You got the coloring book. That's awesome. Yes. That was a great idea. It's, it's really simple. I'm going to do the next thing going forward. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the next right thing that is the next right thing. And that is to continue the path that seems right. Promoting her story, helping the alcoholic addict of any background it could be now police officers fellow correctional officers the person obviously on down and out in the street I've, I've always gone to bat for them they obviously need help so that's that and promoting my book 14th and 2nd when it gets released soon um to try to change lives tommy excellent excellent and if if there is a child or or even an adult that wants you know a picture or hair, something to keep them going on where can they go to get that? Well, they can reach out to me on Instagram, Charlie Cifarelli. They could reach out to the luckiest dog that ever lived, came back to life. It's on YouTube. My emails uh, at the Star Projects there, Charlie at the Star Project. Uh, has Disney Inc. has Disney reached out they, yet? Well, they should because I'll tell you something. The children need to hear this story because nobody and nothing in this world is perfect, and this dog was not perfect, but she was perfect. Did you uh, call Hoffman back yet? Oh, Hoffman knows. He knows. Uh, you know. should stay on him. Yeah. There's, there's get, bigger fish out there. I hate him to put it. He's yeah. Oh, uh, don't say it. Hoffman actually uh, knew people with yeah. uh, that that worked at Disney. Uh, so, no, yeah. Dropped the ball then. Yeah. Sorry. Well, okay. I mean, I mean there's, no, there's no way this shouldn't turn sorry, into something. Sorry, he dropped the ball. I'm yeah. sorry. Hey. You all, you're, you're in your route. You don't, yeah. you know. So, all right. So, with that, then, um, you know, thank you for coming in, Charlie. Who's that, Mike? I guarantee that's Mike's phone. He did that last time. Right, right. Who's that? Anyway. That's his... Oh, buddy. Okay. Well, anyway, 
Thank you, Mike, for being here. You got anything else to say? Thing is on or off. Ringer. You got anything to say, Mike? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm happy to have uh, uh, gotten to know the depth of Charlie. It's really an interesting unraveling, what he would call unpacking, and I'm really I'm really happy. I'm really like I I, I think I found a really great friend now and, and an advocate for each other which is really Im- important in life and he's obviously here to help you out you he's know. here to help me out and you know what it it i didn't force this it, it it's not my will and it and it really is not my and it wasn't his will to save my life uh with going to these retreats or whatever so it, we met by not chance there was there was uh, an angel in in the form of a retired New York City cop that put us together. He's helped me a lot too, and we'll just a lot, and a lot of things. Way, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, I think we're going to see a better side of him continue to evolve. Yeah, and, and you know what? He knows where he was. Yeah, and you know something? At this point, at our age now, we've been to hell and back, and it's time to live in some grace. Uh, I'll say one thing about Mike. I, I found out since I've met him, he's done a lot for me that I didn't know. So in other words, there's a lot of things he may have done for you. And I know I found out over time he's done for me that I never knew. So he's not like the type of guy that says, oh, Charlie, I did this for you. He just does it quietly. And if you ever find out, you find out. If you never do, you never do. But since I've met him, I found out a lot of things he's done for me. So I'm sure he's doing a lot for you that you don't realize yet. And Star, she's the show, man. She She, is the show. She saved your life. She saved my life. And uh, it, it's a great story. Uh, I, I can tell the love and emotion you have for her. And it's my baby. Uh, and your your baby's still here. She lives right. on. She's there not going go. nowhere. Yeah, she's beautiful. She's not going anywhere. Buddy. No, no, she's not. And you can come on anytime you want to push anything you want to promote it. I'm more than happy. And I really like that coloring book. For some reason, I guess because I have the daughter now. That coloring book's cool. Tommy, we'll make sure you have them. We'll make sure they're signed, and and I'll make sure they come. Yep, and you get that on Amazon.com. And the 14th and 2nd, can we have a copy to read? Uh, uh, as soon as we want the copy. Tara's been trying. She'll have know, one. I just know, got Tara the last edit going on. Tara's trying to read it, you know. I won't. Yeah, she will. She will. Um, and Tommy, um, you got Amazon, I'm a star, mm-hmm. uh, book.com. Pull that up, uh, the I'm tab a, with Amazon. I'm a star.com. Go to uh, Chrome. Go ahead, wow, she pulls it up. I'm a star. Doc, I'm a star book.com mm-hmm. and then you could get the children's book and then you could get um, the coloring book so right here we have the the regular ch- yeah. uh, children's book 12 bucks on Amazon yep and then you know, it's, it's just like the, the great stocking stuff for this the, time of year yeah just, that, if this comes out yeah and so great then, stocking so, so I'm a star book.com is star's website and then you could just put in I'm a star book in Amazon and you could order them and right there it is. Yeah, and if you get it off of her, amastarbook.com, I could write a personal message to whoever wants it written, if a kid wants it. What a way to spend the holiday weekend coming. Yeah. Reading this little book to some children. That would be that would be really nah, cool. Really that really would be cool. Hopefully we can get this out there. And get it and get it from amastar.com because then then you can get it signed and, and noted and, yeah. and it's just more yeah. it's yeah. it's cool, you yeah. know. It's nice that it's on Amazon. So then when you read it, you know, when you touch. play with with your child when he or she is older, you could say, "Hey, look, remember yeah. that book you covered? Yeah, this this cool. was the dog." This is yeah. pretty cool. I'm a little you know? disappointed I don't have a star book. But... And he was on MSC. I'm going to work on one. <laughs> I just got to find a dog. I got the whole process, man. You writing a children's book? You better talk to Charlie. Well, I was just messing with you. I got people. Well, Tommy, as you know, I mean, look at look at this dog, what she's done for me from East New York to the penitentiary 
to being involved with children's books, and she showed me the path. I don't think you'd be sitting here dressed very properly and I hate with a very this, nice watch and very nice wolf, shoes. Yeah, that, I don't think you would have any of that without this dog. Also, no, that's you also true. You have a brother back in your life. Yes, and Dude, I have this a, dog. Yeah, I have a brother back in my life. A lot of stuff has happened yeah. to Tommy. The more and more I hear, that dog saved your life more than you saved oh, her life. Without, with, without a doubt. And you know what? Um, I'm a good citizen now. I mean, listen, neighbors wave to me. I go down the path of life, uh, not a taker, as a giver. And I'm just doing my life the right way. And with that, Star, God the bless. celebrity, not us. Thank you. Thank Amen. you, Tommy. Thank you, Mike. Thank, Thank you, Char. Thank you.